live from Judge Kaplan's courtroom. This is the People's Square. I'm your host, Brozoy. With me, as always, is Eric Stryker. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let me first tell you that my clients are not human. They're absolute scum. If I had one bullet, I would kill my client. Now, I also want you to rule legalistically on the merits of this case. So that, that is essentially the argument that Edward Rebrook was making for the National Socialist Movement, saying, essentially quoting Inglorious Bastards as the attorney for a group called the National Socialist Movement. <laughs> that killed me. That absolutely killed me. I mean, what, what, what's the point? You know, one, one thing that's damning, I'll just say this real quick. One thing that's damning about the hearings today is that the pro se defendants, you know, whatever you might think of them, did better than most of the lawyers. Do you agree? Uh, from a, uh, an, uh, let's see now, from a political standpoint and, and the way they made their arguments, uh, they sounded better. They were more lively. They were more engaged. Uh, they didn't apologize as much. Well, one of them did kind of apologize for himself and then you know, kind of threw a few of his uh, fellow co-defendants under the bus. One was just balls to the wall entertaining. And while it was, you know, it, it was very heartening to me on the one hand, the one thing that I've covered enough trials and I've sat through enough to know that what sounds good to those of us outside of it isn't always like a, the best legal argument. So, and then also you can't underestimate you know, the stupidity of a jury sometimes. That said, it's about winning hearts and minds. Ultimately, you know, the, the things that they're going to take back besides the instructions is going to be those emotional appeals, those, you know, those uh, appeals that are outside the bounds of uh, specific legal arguments. And that could very well work in their favor. Well, you have to realize that you have to understand what, a jury is a jury is composed of people that couldn't come up with an idea good enough to get out of jury duty so you, you have to you have to understand that well so and, and you also have to consider it's a show trial crowd that's yeah, the jury it is and it's a show trial so who puts on the best show may very well be the one who comes walks away the winner right right i mean um judging from all the the lawyers, you know, lawyers have this thing where their opening statements are usually riffing off of the jury, like their assumptions of of the jury. And judging from all the uh, Hollywood movies they were referencing, um, I have to think that, like, there's probably a lot of black people on that jury. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a couple. <laughs> As as Neo said once in the Matrix, you know, I mean, come on, it's just, the fact that you know the court system. First of all, let me just make another purely aesthetic and kind of pure all comment, comment here. Is uh, Judge Moon sounds like when I was listening to this thing on my phone today, and I was hearing Judge Moon uh, the other day actually when I heard him for the first time. I thought I was listening to like some kind of like like a judge deliberating on Jim Crow in the 1950s or something. He yeah. is he's a fucking fossil. The yeah, guy 85 is years old, 85. 
the guy is like he's got like some gone with the wind accent really really old like and it really surprises me that he's that much in the tank for the plaintiffs which shows you you should never assume that just because someone has a certain ass accent or is of a certain age i mean the the, the moon himself was appointed by Bill Clinton in the 90s, right? So I have to assume that he's one of those, like, uh, Dinesh D'Souza Democrats, you know, like the old-school Southern Democrats. You have to just assume that, like... But uh, he seems... I mean, what was your impression of the trial so far? Does he seem very prejudiced in the uh, plaintiff's favor? Um... Not so far, to be honest. Uh, during jury selection, he more often ruled against the plaintiffs than the defendants when there were uh, problems or, or, or objections. Uh, today, especially at the end of the day, he sounded like he was just ass-tired at that point. At the end, after the jury was dismissed, uh, the plaintiff's Karen Dunn, uh, plaintiff's attorney Karen Dunn, uh, said that she wanted to submit a letter of concern over some uh, legal interpretations and definitions that uh, the defense lawyers and pro se defendants had uh, used during their opening statements that were done incorrectly. And Josh Smith, uh, the uh, attorney for the Trad Workers Party, Matthew Heimbach and Matt, Matt Parrott, uh, fired back that uh, they had used the term white supremacist at least once, and the judge had already ruled that that term could not be used as it is prejudicial against the defendants. And he just was like, well, you send your letter to her and you send it, your, his, your letter to him. I mean, he was just like, he just wanted to get the fuck out of there. So, yeah, I can't. I mean, the very fact that this trial is proceeding, that a lot of the things have been allowed and disallowed prior to the opening day, definitely says he's in the tank for the plaintiffs, or at least strongly leaning towards the plaintiffs. However, so far, I can't say that he has been unfair to the defendants or overly fair to the plaintiffs. Well, one one thing that people brought up is that Moon on paper is drastically different from Moon in person. So what do I mean by that? Well, when you're writing um, motions, Moon is in the tank for the plaintiffs. And the theory is that the people writing his law clerks are writing his legal opinions. And they're all, like, leftists. And, like, for example, the, the early scandal for Moon in this case was that two of his law clerks were friends with Elizabeth Sines, the plaintiff, yes. the lead plaintiff. Two people writing opinions for the judge were friends with the lead plaintiff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you have another scandal where another law clerk that was um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the 2018 term, I believe, is an actual Israeli, an actual citizen of Israel that has been employed by the Israeli government Um. And Moon actually had to face a really, for a judge, really embarrassing ethics hearing over this. Of course, uh, judges are judged by judges, so nothing ever comes out of it. But simply having to stand there and explain yourself is uh, really embarrassing, especially for someone who's had a fairly, um, uh, you know, unordinary career as a judge. So I think that, you know, it, it, it reminds me of, you know, Martin Luther King's doctoral thesis versus Martin Luther King, right? Um, two different people. Yeah. One person writing, the other person speaking. And so Moon is in court, and he seems to be, I have to say, a little more fair um, and, and uh, objective 
Although there there were some moments like it, there's there's a, a juror that showed up and said I I I love Antifa or something. You wrote about it, and Moon's like, oh okay, let's sit him on the jury. I mean that's pretty unbelievable, especially since the uh, plaintiffs argued that jurors who have a strong opinion against Antifa could be prejudiced against their plaintiffs. Hmm, I wonder why. Mm-hmm. Yet. Yet a juror that has a strong opinion in favor of Antifa is allowed to sit on the jury. That's kind of that. That is, in my opinion, uh, possibly grounds for an appeal in the future. You know, not saying it would guarantee it would work, but something that should, people should think about if they lose this case, right? Uh, I think that's going to be pretty thin gruel to uh, to yeah. go after. I think there was there was at least one point where uh, on opening day he said. Uh, instead of saying, as plaintiffs alleged, that there was a conspiracy to commit violence, uh, he basically begged the, the, the question and stated as almost like a fact, would you be able to rule when – I mean, I can't remember the exact wording, but would it was the, in effect, would you be able to rule um, on this issue – when it's proven that you know that they conspired to commit violent, they made racially motivated violence, and that was just kind of like a stunner. Um, but I mean, he's a doddering old man at this point, so I, I honestly don't know if we can chalk it up to fairness, incompetence, like he's forgetting what his, his script is supposed to be. I, I have a bingo card and I'm, where I'm marking down every time he misnames "unite the right," "united the right," "united right." I mean, it's it's getting kind of funny. And like even today, he made like a pretty big slip where he was saying Kessler, uh, or rather uh, James Fields, had the permit for the rally instead of James Kessler, which oh. is you know pretty big difference. And yes. uh, these aren't these aren't things to that will I don't think you could hang an appeal on. Uh, however, it just shows that one there's possibly some some bias that will come come out as the days commence. Or again, you can't stress this enough: the man's eighty five years old. He sounds exhausted, and uh, one wonders why he's still on the bench. Because, you know, yeah. if a judge reaches eighty years old, he's not going to be appointed to the Supreme Court, so he has no future beyond where he is now. I guess he's maybe hoping either he's just a workaholic, which I don't know that really adds up, up considering how tired and, and frustrated he sounded at the end of the day, or he's just waiting for that case that will make his legacy as a U.S. District Judge since he's not going to the, any higher. Yes. Um, you know, the uh, the plaintiffs in the case, Kaplan and Dunn, um, both have made it clear that they want this to be a landmark case. And what do they mean by that? Well, essentially, this is a, a creep towards hate speech laws, basically. Um, and they want this to be the turning point, almost like a reverse of Skokie. Uh, they even compared it to Skokie, not in that sense, but this is essentially what they're doing. This is the organized Jewish community is financing this lawsuit to test the boundaries of, you know, how far they can go. Can they convince a jury to uh, convict or whatever they call it in civil court a bunch of people, a bunch of random people? I mean, do, do you really think Richard Spencer and like the Grand Dragon of the Teutonic White Knights of the Ku, whatever they're called, <laughs> the, the White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan that they got together in a room and and plotted to 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 you know get James Fields to run over Heather Hart. No, no one is even alleging that. I mean, the the plaintiffs essentially were were basing their argument on the idea 
of something called stochastic terrorism, something that Jews have been really promoting as of late, which is the idea that if I give a political opinion and someone somewhere in the world commits a crime in the name of something similar politically, that I'm somehow responsible. That's not how the First Amendment works. That's not how uh, a conspiracy works. But they are trying to blur the lines here. They clearly have no respect for the First Amendment. Um, and they don't even have respect for their plaintiffs. I mean, I already said this before, that if they did, uh, Roberta Kaplan would have given the $4 million to the plaintiffs for their hospital bills rather than put it in her pocket, which is what she did. Roberta Kaplan raised, uh, the, the Integrity First for America raised over $10 million of specters written. And four million of that, over four million of that, has gone to Roberta Kaplan's law firm. I mean, that's quite a pretty penny for something this ridiculous and silly. And especially um, considering how how weak both uh, Dunn and Kaplan's opening statements were. And I know that we obviously have a bias, but as as journalists, we try to set that aside. And objectively speaking, that was a very weak opening for both of them. They I, I played a video. Dunn- I think Dunn Dunn did well for what she was doing. Well, she didn't make any legal arguments, but she did a good job characterizing and demonizing the defendants. She did a good job doing that objectively, empirically. Now, people might disagree, but you have to give the devil his due. Kaplan, on the other hand, was thoroughly unimpressive, in my opinion. I mean, that one, she was really phoning it in, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not familiar with her other work, uh, you know, things like her, her landmark case, which was the Windsor case. Uh, that seems like something that they that the system already agreed to do. And she was just there to kind of push it through, you know, kind of do the, uh, the little tap in. But uh, I was thoroughly unimpressed with Kaplan. But Dunn actually did a good job. You know, she's a former prosecutor, uh, prosecutor in the state of Virginia, a federal prosecutor in the state of Virginia. You know, it makes you think, uh, has she ever crossed paths with any of the people working in the Western District? Now, she worked in the Eastern District, but, you know, this, this is kind of also another problem with our court system, is this kind of revolving door of people that come in and out of the government and undeniably still have connections. I mean, that's what you pay them for. They still have connections with the court system, the federal government, and they use them. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that there's any evidence they're doing it in this case, but I'm saying that it is it is really, you know, if you're going to work as a federal prosecutor, it should probably be a career and not something that you can then monetize in private law, right? Right. Yeah, and, and just for people's um, uh, uh, edification, uh, the Windsor case was the, uh, was the one that legalized gay marriage, and uh, when you talk about uh, how they're trying to get this idea of stochastic terrorism into the legal system as well as, I guess, the political system, um, free speech protects everything except for imminent incitement of or, or incitement of imminent lawless action. And that was from Brandenburg versus Ohio in 1969, where you can say whatever you want, even the most hateful things, you can say, uh, you know, we're going to crush them or, you know, whatever you're saying during your speech. Unless you're literally saying, and I'm hesitant to say it on anything recorded, uh, and I'm, so I'm going to make sure this is a quote, a hypothetical quote. Unless you're saying, let's go kill that guy right over there, that would be 
outside the bounds of free speech. And that would be one of the few things outside the bounds of free speech. You, you know, and, though, a, a lot of people lean on Brandenburg versus Ohio and also the, uh, the precedent set by the ACLU and the Skokie case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, it's funny. I've done my own independent research. There's an article about this on National Justice. It's called Understanding the War on Free Speech where there actually are precedents from before Brandenburg versus Ohio, authored by the Jewish justice Felix Frankfurter, where he actually ruled in a kind of European-style hate speech uh, way in 1952. It was a... Um, um, it was called... Uh, I, I can't really pronounce this. It's French. It's Buharne versus Illinois. And uh, in that case, a man in Chicago posted leaflets in his city that brought attention to the rise in black crime at the time, right? And it used the N-word or whatever. And he called on whites to create a political movement to fight back against it. Uh, Frankfurter authored the opinion five to four, saying that because this man was actually arrested and convicted by the Chicago police. This is in 1952. If you thought the, the 60s were the problem in America, this is way before that. Um, and he said that Baharnas was guilty of something called group libel against black people. Group libel. And thus, he upheld his criminal conviction. Um, if you Wow, I was not familiar with this case. Yes, yes. B-E-A-U-H-A-R-N-A-I-S- V Illinois, and hmm. um, has this been upheld or was it overturned or what, what's what happened with it? Well, the assumption is that Brandenburg versus Ohio overturns this. Oh, okay. But the problem is again, everything with the Supreme Court is is fairly opaque. They they could revisit this and use this, test this as a precedent if they really if the deplatforming and censorship doesn't work, they could easily revisit this and i've seen certain jewish academics and leftist academics uh in the legal fields argue uh in favor of this that if they tested free uh free speech in this context and rate in the racial context again that they could they could revisit this ruling and if you're if you know anything about the uh, the logic of canadian european and so on british uh, German hate speech laws. The actual laws are not just about hatred. Uh, they're actually very similar to this. And the, the idea that that um, say, making a sweeping generalization is an act of libel. And so while other in some contexts they do have laws that just say this is hate and it hurts my feelings, uh, the, the underpinnings of traditional hate speech laws are based on this, on the idea that they're libelous. So if you say, hey, the Jews control Wall Street, or hey, uh, you know, Jews on the Supreme Court want to <laughs> overturn free speech, uh, the argument could be that you are libeling the Jewish people, right? Um, so again, there, there's no guarantees. You know, people have this, this idea that our rights and freedoms are enshrined in this magic paper called the Constitution. But Judges Absolutely could easily not. rip that apart. Judges and lawyers could easily, special interest groups, political donors, they could easily rip that apart or at least try. 
that's why, you know, there, there are many issues with some of the defendants in the Science versus Kessler case. I know I've had my run-ins, run-ins with some of them. But it's very important to cover this case um, and show moral support uh, or financial support, if you can. Because this will actually decide how they're going to deal with this going forward. If they can get away with creating a, a precedent based on a pure, like, purely made-up conspiracy theory. They have not a shred of evidence. None of the opening oh, statements no. made any legal arguments. Um, no, it, you know, it, it, if you had to boil it down to one sentence, it was, these people conspired to go to a political rally. There was violence at that political rally. Therefore, they conspired to commit violence. <laughs> it, it, you know, that's a very simplified version, but the, the running joke today was, it was like Charlie Day uh, solving the riddle of uh, Pepe Silva, just yeah. all these strings and all that, and just this emotional argument that this person said this, and this person is known for that, and, and this thing happened here, and somehow it's all supposed to be tied together by this grand conspiracy, and it uh, they, they didn't even really make the case even at the um, – I'm looking for the right word. I don't want to say political level. Uh, they certainly didn't make a legal argument, but even just as uh, political rhetoric, it did not make the case at all. And that's no. why I uh, – yeah, that's why I kind of felt like Dunn didn't do as what, good a job as you may have. However, in hindsight, as, as we said with Cantwell's performance, um, you know, this is a show trial. He put on a show. This is a show trial. Kaplan and Dunn are putting on a show. And that might, you know, be the strategy they're going with because they know that that does work with the tier of people who are on this jury. Yes, uh, I, I think Dunn was was uh, w- w- things that that actually work in her favor was that she was using a lot of video. I'm assuming listening to it that she was using a lot of, um, you know, bombarding your senses. With yeah. scary images, you know, like for, for a person, if you take images that she showed out of context, which she did, those are just scary images and only from one side. You know, the defense mm-hmm. could have showed video of the anarchists caving a man's head in at Charlottesville. A man's head was literally caved in. There's video and photo- photographs of it, of his head literally caved in a horrifying photograph. And these are the people that the plaintiffs were on the side of. So the mm-hmm. defense could have done that. They could have done, um, you know, they, they could have been. I, I was uh, impressed with the people that were talking about Seth Whispelwee, who, you know, if you're crossing, if you're cross examining Seth Whispelwee and you ask him to his face, do you believe that using violence to shut down my speech is justified? He would have to say yes if he's under oath. And if he says no, he's perjuring himself because he's on the record in other places saying yes, that it's yep. completely justified. So there are a lot of, of strategies they can use here. And it's good that they have a good that they have some kind of legal strategy. But again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not tell, giving legal advice here. Let me make that clear. Um, but simply looking at how the plaintiffs are playing it, they're not making any um, actionable legal argument here. Where is the conspiracy? Where is Cantwell and, uh, you know, the Durfur Scope and uh, uh, Hanbach and Parrot and uh, so on and so on? Where, where are they communicating with each other to hurt people? Yeah, it doesn't as far exist. as I can tell, 
they, you know, they didn't even establish that there was communication between a, a lot of the different uh, of the twenty defendants involved in this. Right. Um, now, as far as my understanding of this is, legally to prove a conspiracy, you don't have to prove that every single person talked to or communicated with each one. However, it can be like a circle jerk where this person said this, this person said this to this other person. You know, they, these two planned something, then these other two uh, with the guy in the middle uh, planned something. And he, they didn't even really make that case, though, legally. It was just um, it was just a, sort of a free association of here's these bad things these people said or did, and therefore it's a conspiracy because they planned to go to a political rally, which was legally permitted and upheld by a federal judge. Now, their, their argument is even more ridiculous the only thing approaching a legal argument that they have is that the lack of evidence is evidence of the conspiracy. Yeah. So they were able to get Moon to rule uh, over the supposed lack of compliance of Eli Klein and Heimbach, that the lack of compliance in their ridiculous subpoenas uh, for items that these men said in court they don't have. Eli Klein said in court, I don't have the password to the email from four years ago that they want. He was saying this during the, uh, the pretrial stuff. And um, they, the uh, Judge Norman Moon um, essentially did something that is incredibly rare in civil court, which is send the federal marshals after him, put him in jail mm -hmm. for civil contempt. That almost never happens. Let me remind you, that almost never happens in American yep. civil court. It almost never happens. It's so rare that even Kaplan and Spitalnik were mentioning how rare it was and cracking up about it. Yeah. Um, so this is something that they're capitalizing on, saying, oh, well, the fact that they lost the phones from three years ago or that don't have the password for emails from four years ago is the evidence of the conspiracy. I mean, think of that. And, and Moon actually gave them the adverse inferences ruling, which is also I think, you, I think you mentioned it earlier today. It's much like the Nuremberg trials. Uh, mm -hmm. The very fact that they don't have evidence of orders regarding you know anything regarding the uh, alleged Holocaust is somehow proof that the Nazis covered it up. It's like, yes. Well, yes. How does that work? They, they, the, uh, the argument for the Holocaust is that there's no proof for the Holocaust because the Nazis got rid of all the evidence. And that the reason there's no Fuhrer order is that Hitler was... Seriously, this is the argument Holocaust scholars make. And you'll probably hear De Deborah Lipstadt, who's going to testify, make this argument. Is that the Nazis communicated uh, telepathically to yeah. kill millions of Jews. Like, that that's literally... Yeah. That was actually something that Dunn said uh, during her statements, to, or they were probably ten minutes apart during her opening statement. First she said that we have all this evidence from these Discord servers and these communications and emails, that, and it's clear these people did not expect any of their communications to see the light of day, much less to be seen inside of a courtroom. Ten minutes later, she's talking about how one of the witnesses is going to explain how these people all talked in – uh, what she called it uh, backstage and front stage talk, how they yeah. spoke in code and try to make things sound like jokes in case they did become public. So, like, which is it? Did they never expect these communications and planning to be seen or were they so smart? Were everybody involved in this? Was everybody involved in this so smart that they knew to talk in code? Kind of doesn't really, you know, it's and one of the other. Really hurts, can't, can't what really hurts. What really 
what's really going to hurt them too, the plaintiffs said, is is the, is the fact that the defendants got a permit and coordinated with the Charlottesville Police Department for this rally. So in order to uh, claim a conspiracy, you have to claim that the police were in on it, which I could see leftists trying to do. But the problem is what happens if you have like, you know, even if you have one normal person on the jury, they're mm-hmm. just going to hang the jury up. Yeah, even if it's just one a out of questions. 12. There are a couple of questions people had, and I just want to get this out of the way for them. Right now, the jury has 12 members and no alternates. Um, Jurors can be removed, whether it's for illness, uh, hardship. Uh, They could be uh, kicked from the jury by the judge for some kind of inappropriate conduct. As long as there are still six jurors at the end of the trial, they can have a jury vote. And that vote to find liability requires a unanimous vote. So if even one hangs up, not one of them. Uh, n- uh, if even one hangs up on a charge, then the finding is they were not liable for that charge. Yes. Now, what 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 do you think of the? Uh, I mean, we know what we think of it morally, um, but what do you think of the strategy? Some of the plaintiffs, like Richard Spencer, uh, are deploying, which is essentially to break solidarity with the defendants. Uh, from a purely legal and tactical point of view, is that even worth doing? Like, what? What do you think? I about? didn't. I didn't see any point to it. I mean, he's not there. I mean, none of them are there. Are going to be at least in theory, if the jury is fair and follows the, the judicial instructions, that the finding of one party to be liable does not implicate any other party. Each party has to be found independently liable of the charges against them, or the allegations against, or the the, the lawsuits against them. Um, I don't see any value. You don't have to sit there and say, you know, uh, James Kessler and I are still best friends, but there's no reason to say he did the planning. It it should just be I did no planning. I I just I did not see any gain in that from any standpoint. Like, for instance, the League of the South lawyer, um, Mr. Jones, um, he was pretty brief. He wasn't showy. He got up and just simply said, "My yeah, clients." clients. Yeah. yeah, he said, "My clients were not even there on Friday because one of the the key incidents is the torchlight rally and the scuffles that ensued around the Lee Monument. Uh, sorry, the Jefferson Monument, and then the car accident the next day with James Fields." And you know, he just basically said, "Look, my clients weren't even there on Friday, so they didn't have any part in that," um, and they. The only evidence that there's any connection to my def- my clients or any of the defendants to James Fields is that one of my clients is seen with in a picture, and James Field happens to be walking by in the same picture. There's right. literally no evidence that links James Fields to any. It of It wasn't these, even uh, his client. It was actually Eli Klein, who's not his client, but he did oh, yeah, the sorry. smart thing. He yeah, did the Eli smart Klein. thing and brought that up too. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. So he's client. actually kind of defending Eli Klein in that sense, and yeah, he's not so defending. I, I, I mean, the facts support all the facts for the defendants. Support all the defendants. So mm-hmm. if if you're a lawyer, you know, and you understand, like the the, the whole tactic of no, it was that guy. You know, that's just going to make a distraction in your trial where you're going to spend more time fighting your co-defendants than the plaintiffs. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's something that you only see with right-wingers. I'm, I'm telling you. you do not, 
You do not see crap like this with leftists. Say what you want. You could think you're smarter than a leftist. You could think you're better than the left. They don't do stupid shit like that. No. They're really stupid, in my opinion. In my non-legal yeah, expert opinion. Really dumb to do that. Yeah, the, the left the left is pretty I gotta give them credit where like you said, credit where it's due. The left is reasonably well disciplined uh, when it comes to both criminal and civil matters. They don't right. throw each other each other under the bus. They know to shut up and never speak to the police. Right. Uh, you know, nobody talks, everybody walks. They live that. Yeah. And a lot of our people could learn from that. Yes, yes. The whole every man for himself, like, you know, I understand like what well, one thing that, that's an issue in this case is that these people literally don't know each other. <laughs> these yeah. people don't know each other. I can tell you for a fact that none of these people, for the most part, maybe one or two, know one or two. But aside from that, like the the overall docket of defendants don't know shit about each other, have no personal relationship, don't even know how to contact each other. And so that hurts them too, to some degree. Is you know, I saw a little bit of kind of spray and pray in the sense of, you know, everyone was kind of making different arguments too, mm-hmm. which is fine. It's fine on, on one level, but um, it's gonna confuse the jury. Okay. Yeah, this is where you get some of the Yeah. I was gonna say this is where you get the problem of uh, right wingers act all act like individualist anarchists and left wingers uh, tend to act like, like well, fascists. Yeah, yeah. They, well, like they, they, see hier- they see hierarchy and moral and moral certainty in what they do. Yeah. Yes, and that's something I felt was, with the exception of Cantwell, uh, lacking is that moral certainty. You know, I was oh, watching. Th- th- this is actually unrelated, but I was. Do watching, we want to get into Cantwell after that? Yes, uh, I was okay. watching the Merrick Garland hearings uh, in the Senate yesterday. And Ted Cruz, Josh Hall, these guys are usually worse than nothing. They were a fucking spitting fire at Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland was whimpering in a corner and literally about to cry. And you know why that happened? Why Ted Cruz suddenly came to life in a way that was like beyond his usual like shit tier stuff? is because they had moral certainty. They had everything fall into place. They had uh, a a very clear-cut victim, which is the father who was beaten at the Loudoun County School Board after his daughter was raped by a transvestite student that the school board covered up and then sent the, the student to another school where he raped again. And when the father went to speak about it, he was beaten up and demonized in the media. This was in June. And, you know, that's such a clear-cut moral outrage that even someone like Ted Cruz, who probably is like a cold-blooded serpent, even he was very sincere, I'm convinced, in his outrage on that. And then on top of that, the the, the use of the uh, secret police services to go after parents trying to get involved uh, in their children's education, you know, just, just over and over, this gave... For once, it gave the right-wingers a moral courage that I haven't seen in a very long time. It's usually the other way around, where the leftists have the moral certainty, which here, they lacked. The only people sick enough to defend Merrick Garland were the other creepy Jews like Raskin and, uh, and, and Blumenthal and people like that. But none of the normal-looking Democrats 
were even bothering to defend that uh, what that memo to go after parents and the, the idea of using uh, annoying phone calls, a U.S. attorney using that to prosecute parents, all of that was outrageous, and they were able to capitalize on that. And so people have to understand, you have to break from the Nietzschean way of thinking. You can hate it, you can have your morality, whatever. Guess what? The vast majority of people respond to moral and emotional arguments. Dunn yeah. and, and Kaplan are making those. Yeah. The, and so is Kaplan by far the best one. Yes, he he got the closest, at least in my opinion. Uh, I think what what Cantwell's advantage there was is that he's he, he he his from my understanding watching it is that his strategy is I'm gonna I'm gonna let it all hang loose. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm gonna you. say that word. I'm yes. going to I'm I'm gonna show you who I am and show you that I'm not hiding anything. And then okay, here's, I'm going to show you the yeah. video of us planning this event and show you there's nothing there. And so the fact that he's willing to just come out and say whatever, he, you know, be himself is something that could, I mean, it could backfire on him, but it could also sure. work to his great advantage. Yeah, I, I want to caution all of our, like, discussion about this to anybody who's listening to this and only casually following the trial. Um, you can't know how a jury is going to react to anything, no. even if you think it's good. And number two, a, a trial is certainly not ever decided based on opening arguments. It can be fucked up on opening arguments, but you're never going to win a trial on, on opening arguments. Um, in fact, I would dare say that with the exception of Chris Cantwell, most of the opening arguments will be forgotten by tomorrow, or yes. certainly by the time three weeks is up. Now, the thing about Cantwell, and he was going balls to the wall and being himself, but I actually think that there were some very calculated moves within what he had to say. And I refer specifically to what you uh, are referencing, where he described how he got fired because he was baited by some black activists into saying, I don't know if I can say it. Can I say this on there? Wait, can I quote him? Uh, what's not? Uh... He said, well, he said, and he said the word, he said, shut up N-word. <laughs> and just blatantly. And, and somebody else has joked that that was probably the first hard R that's been heard inside of a courthouse in, you know, since the 1960s. A nigger. Since Moon, now, was, a, since Moon was a kid. <laughs> yes. Now, say what you will, he has taken the shock of that away, because they're going to be playing some video and some audio in the coming weeks of people saying things that to the normie or to these shit libs are offensive. Uh, Campbell has already taken the shock value out by saying it himself. And without any hesitation yes. or couching it. Now, further, yes. he made a point. Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. Um, he made a point of describing the picture that had been in the uh, video. Now, just for, for the rules here of how court works, opening statements, you're not introducing evidence. You can play video. You can you know refer to a document or whatever. But that is not what's called the introduction of evidence. That will come during the uh, when witnesses are called and uh, and during that time they can enter into evidence. Now here we're going to enter into evidence this picture of Chris Cantwell pepper spraying somebody or macing somebody. Um, Cantwell, because he was so entertaining and so memorable to the average juror, much less the average listener, he described the scene himself. He said, "Yes, I did spray that guy," but if you also notice, he had just sprayed me and several other people. And notice that this is a white guy, so. That's a pretty far reach to call that a hate crime. I was doing it in defense. So 
now when you know Roberta Kaplan gets up there and says, Mr. Cantwell says he didn't come there to commit violence, but look at this, and there's the shock of his picture up there. Right. The jury already has will have it in their minds and remember that exactly. oh yeah, he sprayed a white guy who had just been spraying some other people. And that takes away a lot of the momentum. Unlike the other clients, he defended himself. Um, you know, if when you're representing a client and you're using the Larry Flint defense of, oh, I may be disgusting, you may be repulsed by, you know, that's something that worked maybe that time. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with the actual Larry Flint case. I've just seen the movie. <laughs> which, I'm sure, which I'm sure is actually uh, exaggerated, um, but the uh, that that that's not that being a pornographer is not the same as being a political dissident. And when you actually f- climb into that hole that they dug for you, you know the idea that you know I, I always see right wing attorneys do this. You saw it with Alex Jones's attorney. Um, you see it very consistently, the idea that we're somehow doing something morally repugnant, that our opinions and views are unpopular. You know what's unpopular? That Vice video that has 300 thumbs down about the Charlottesville trial saying this is where the Nazis are going to pay. That's unpopular. Okay. We're not, if we were unpopular, they wouldn't have to censor us. They wouldn't even be in that court if we were unpopular. So yeah. when you start off and say, not just that you're unpopular opinions, that the First Amendment is to defend unpopular opinions, but also that you're like, yes, I'm immoral, I'm repugnant, I'm disgusting, I'm a piece of shit. When you do that, like, so you're going to uh, convict yourself morally. Okay, maybe not legally, but morally. You're going to convict yourself. Why should a jury disagree with you? Yeah. <laughs> You know, you've already conceded this. You've already conceded that uh, Borzoi, are you on? Because I don't, don't want to steal your quote, but you had a great point about people take you at your word. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, you okay. Describe I guess yourself you, as yeah. a piece of shit, and the plaintiffs describe you as a piece of shit. Well, God, by God, I'm gonna think you're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna quote uh, Borzoi's uh, telegram here. He had a great point. Tell the world you're a reprehensible piece of shit, undeserving to be defended, except at the barest essential of being a human with rights. And guess what? The best you're going to get is going to be. Right. Yeah. You you don't start off, and and I would you know I I from a legal standpoint, I've heard that argument before uh, in First Amendment type cases. I kind of understand at least in the lawyer's mind why they're doing that. Um, because they're, they, I guess they want to acknowledge and, and kind of like, let's step over that. We have to focus on the rights. But it doesn't work. It doesn't ingratiate you to the plaintiffs. It doesn't ingratiate you to the jury. You know, the jury's going to know that, that you have a First Amendment right to even to say what the plaintiffs would describe as reprehensible. Right. And beyond that, I would strongly make the argument that if you say that these are unpopular opinions, you are factually incorrect because they would not have to try to shut people down. They would not have to deplatform people. They would not have to have this trial to try to chill free speech and stop uh, normal people from gathering, normal white people from gathering and acting in their own interests yeah. unless they knew these were popular ideas. Well, you know, it's morally reprehensible abusing the court system to waste everyone's time and money because you don't agree with their politics. That's actually what's reprehensible. 
what's what, what I liked about some of the defendants' arguments is they appealed to the jury. It's like you're going to lose a month of your life over this nonsense. Those are good arguments, you know, on some level. I mean, they again, you have to combine them with legal arguments. You can't just say that. But right. Adding that in, it appeals it, to the it, juror. It appeals because the jurors don't want to be there either. If anything, like I said, this I don't want to generalize here, but this is the Jerry Springer crowd. This is the people that have nothing better to do but watch Jerry Springer. And so someone like Cantwell going up there, they're going to find him entertaining. Now, again, we can't predict how they're going to rule, but that's just something that adds something into the mix, right? Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying, though, is why say, oh, okay, maybe you said some ridiculous things, you know, if, if you're Spencer – that leaked video. By the way, I know who leaked that that video, and you know, I'm on the fence about whether to expose that person. But anyway, uh, that video of Spencer saying "I'm going to rule the world" and all that and so on, he could have just left it at you know, I was I had a few drinks. It was a heat of the moment. I was I felt like I was assaulted. My rights are being taken away. I've been assaulted multiple times by the left. You have to capitalize on the current political climate. Okay, There are a lot of people in this country that have seen what Antifa, anti-racist, Black Lives Matter, what the world run by them looks like. We've been living in it for the last year and a half, arguably for the last three years. We've been living in a world dictated by these freaks. And you better believe that at least half the population isn't happy with it. So... When you take I, those odds and add it to the jury, you can definitely count on at least one or two people there, maybe more, sharing that perspective. So you have to say, you know, things like, again, moon might cut you off or whatever, but, you know, do you want to live in a world where these people can do this, where they can just drag you to court because they disagree with your opinions? What happens when they go after you? We all seen... What they do on a micro scale take you off of Facebook. They take you off the internet. You know, this is something that affects a lot of people, millions of people now. They're going after everyone. This is touching everyone's, you know, they built a precedent from Charlottesville. And there's a very clear red line from that to where the parents have the FBI stalking them at school board meetings. There's an actual pattern there that one thing led to the other, you know, and Moon will probably cut you off. But the point is, is it still stands, okay? These people are at war with the right to free speech and assembly. That's what they're up to here. They don't even deny it. And if, and if they were to say, this isn't relevant, this is relevant, you pull out their articles where they say that's what they're doing. The plaintiffs say that's what they're doing. They talk yeah. very little about the supposed conspiracy and talk quite a bit about how they're just using this to bankrupt the defendants because they don't like their, quote, hate speech. Yeah, we, we mentioned um, – actually, it was the, the National Justice Party statement um, that this is what is known as a slap lawsuit, and they have – those are supposed to be illegal. Moon is allowing this anyway, um, but it is absolutely not about this. It is, uh, it is absolutely about silencing or either bankrupting or uh, silencing existing uh, defendants and also chilling – Others with similar views from wanting to do any kind of gathering, any kind of organization, any kind of advocating for their own interests. And when I said a slap lawsuit. It's a um, 
for definition, it's a strategic lawsuit against public participation. And in American jurisprudence, it has long been that they should not be allowed. So yeah, as, yeah, go ahead. Just just kind of kind of what you were saying there, um, Striker, because I've been talking to some boomers I know, and they I told I just told them my politics, and I, I revealed all this stuff to them, and they, and they obviously had some issues with the kind of stuff I believe in and the like and what I said and this was a, a framing issue and this is what our guys need to hammer on and I wish that they were talking about this in the lawsuit in the yard that are the people in the, the defendants is that you may think my views are obscene radical or the like but I guarantee you and you know this those people have more radical and obscene views and I'm on your side and I want to defend you from them and that's like that when they heard that, that it's like yeah, they understand. Like if you have to go to that gut level, you have to go to that completely gr- grug gut level of the way people understand politics. Like you can do this kind of autistic explanation of like what the right wing and autistic and, and antifa is and all that, and like no people, especially normal people, understand politics on a gut level, and that's the level you got to go for. Yes, although I have to say, normal people have become familiar with Antifa, oh, yeah. especially after the riots last year. I mean, that is something that a lot of people have bubbling under the surface. A lot of people in this country, they understand and see the complete double standard and prosecutorial prejudice. Of my, the my, boomers of like, yeah. Yeah, my, my boomers don't like that I praise Hitler, but they still hate Antifa more. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, yes, you don't have to, if you're in a court case, you don't have to be doing like, you know, in my opinion, you don't have to be like quoting Mein Kampf and all that. Like, that's just. Although that was freaking funny. Come on now. It was funny. Yeah, well, get up there to open up. I don't know how many of you have uh, had the intellectual curiosity to read Mein Kampf, and I was just rolling at that point. Yeah, I mean, like, another thing, too, is, you know, again, though, what I'm saying is that. They, th- there's a lot to work with here. The, it, this this law this trial comes at a very bad time for the plaintiffs. Uh, the climate in the country, the winds are changing against the Judeo left. Uh, people are starting to. There's a little bit of resistance starting to uh, burn a little bit. In fact, you know the New York Times is on top of the story, but there there's more. Frankly, there's more attention being paid, in my opinion to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial than this one. And I think it's, frankly, because they're doing so far, from my understanding, very poorly in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which, again, is a matter of the political climate. Political climate has shifted against the anarchists, against the leftists, and against the, the Jewish power structure. Okay, It's starting to shift against them. People are starting to get more bold. And they're like, okay... How much more are you going to wring out of me? How much? How many more rights are you going to take away from me? Okay, yeah. and, the, and the little, you know, whatever, whatever my opinion or your opinion or whatever on the vaccine stuff is, that's one more element of it. And people are starting to see connections uh, in in the fact that you know they didn't encounter any pushback. I mean, I have to say one 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 other thing I want to bring up is the shameful, shameful behavior of the alt-conservatives, that they are not covering this. Oh, They're absolutely. not talking or commenting or anything on it this. It is absolute moral cowardice. Total cowardice. Total cowardice from the butt boys, because that's what they are. 
And because they don't want to piss off their Jewish donors. Right. And, you know, this is going, I mean, this is already bit them in the ass. Okay. This is all, I mean, the, the, the precedent set with Charlottesville, with the FBI going after Ram and applying the, the riot act selectively and so on. All those precedents came to fruition for January 6th. Okay. And those are their people that are getting fucked over by that. And, they're still so cowardly that they will not – they're just pretending. The whole world is discussing this, and they're pretending this this landmark, potentially landmark free speech case isn't happening. Because on yeah. some level, the biggest beneficiaries from the censorship – their gamble is that the Jews are going to stop at the so-called Nazis, which benefits alt-conservatives because they can't compete with us for this demographic, which is white working people. And so they see it as a benefit that we're under a lot of pressure. Uh, but as we saw with the Facebook hearings and the leaks and so on, you know, the little agreements they have with Mark Zuckerberg and Joel Kaplan at Facebook to have Breitbart allowed to do whatever it wants while they censor everyone else to their right. Uh, those things are going to be soon a figment of the past. They're going to be... Um, they're going to censor them, too. And so the fact that they are pretending to be completely disinterested in this and that this is totally different, that's going to fuck them eventually, too. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, political prosecutions in this country were not this intense uh, before Charlottesville. It's Charlottesville where they declared in the system, the media, the courts, the government, the intelligence services, they declared an anti-fascist emergency where, like the war on terror, when they declared a, a terror emergency, they're allowed to completely flaunt, uh, completely overstep all uh, rule of law and civil rights and civil liberties. They're completely allowed, they've given themselves a permission to completely violate all of it in pursuit of the greater good in their minds, which is to stop nationalists from engaging in the political conversation and so yep. that is going to spill over for all conservatives and because of their lack of solidarity with us they're not going to get any from us either you know right so what's the point well, of that this is why conservatives are really the bigger problem for us conservatives and republicans are really a bigger enemy yep. um to our to our people's progress to to the rise of nationalism than the left ever could be because not only are they gatekeepers, not only are they uh, backstabbers, but you know we always talk about punching to the right and how you're not supposed to do that. They are the first to throw. Uh, they will complain about cancel culture, whatever that is, and uh, you know complain about oh because they canceled Dr. Seuss. That's proof that the left are fascist. But then they'll turn around and they will be the first to call for a quote unquote Nazi to be deplatformed because they don't want to be associated with that. They don't want that in their party. That's not conservative values. And it's absolutely goddamn ridiculous. And as far as the alt-conservatives go, it is, I, I, I am 100% convinced it is entirely because they are alt-conservatives because they're getting Jewish money, yeah. and they know that if they cover this thing, even fairly, even objectively, right. it will still be considered a betrayal of the, the kosher right, the, the the Judeo structure, and they will lose their funding. Well, so these people have to go. They're afraid of you know Jared Holt writing an article. They're, they're kind of doing this with Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz 
said the obvious thing, Merrick Garland agreed with him, that you have a First Amendment right to do a Nazi salute. Right. If you want to do the Roman salute at a school board meeting, for whatever reason, in whatever context, you have a right to do that without being bothered by the FBI. Merrick Garland agreed. No controversy. But there, you, then you have people like Ari Melber on MSNBC really focusing and fixating on that. And what it is is guilt by association. Freedom of the, the conservatives have gladly and eagerly given up their right to the freedom to associate. So the idea is that you have a right to speak to us or know us or defend our civil liberties without being, you know, uh, painted or characterized as that. Um, And they have given that up without a fight. And so if you give that up without a fight, then you're going to give up the First Amendment without a fight. And they actually are starting to do that. You're seeing more and more posters on my Telegram, more and more, frankly, woke anti-white stuff coming from the right now. They're doing woke stuff. They have a new book called Euro Trash by a guy named David Hasarabi, who's a Jew. He's a, a guy at the yeah. He's a guy at the Federalist, writing about how America is morally superior to Europe because it gives more affirmative action to non-whites. Okay, so yeah, this and, is and something more friendly that, to gays and or all that crap. Right. So they're eager to move on to turn the page and meet the left on these issues. They want to they want to focus on taxes again and. Uh, invading China or whatever ridiculous, stupid ideas they have. Uh, and so they're perfectly happy and eager to give up on, on free speech and, frankly, even just basic human rights defenses of people of European descent in this country. They're, they're totally willing. They're, they, they're trying to push the idea that white people are human. Not even that, that, they, that people of European descent created America, which is true, uh, so on, so on. No, even the idea that white people are human and have a right to equal rights is now becoming a fringe opinion, not because of the left, but because the conservative right is letting that slip, letting that go. They're perfectly willing to just let let uh, let go of your hand as you're hanging off a cliff. Okay. Yeah. It used to be they were scared of being associated with anyone who was saying, I advocate for white interests. I'm concerned about how this policy will impact white people. Uh, they, they used to just be scared of that, and so they would avoid it, and they would try to be inclusive, and they would sometimes dog whistle a little racism here or there when, when it was electorally advantageous. But now they absolutely want to they, they want to squash anyone saying – Hey, I'm concerned about how this policy will affect white families. I'm concerned about the future for white people. It's like they've all embraced the um, Ben Shapiro approach of I don't give a good goddamn about the browning of America. It's just if they have these principles, and these principles, of course, are reduced to low taxes and uh, low, you know, no regulation and, on businesses and uh, whatever war that the Jews want to get us into next week. Right. That really is it. Right. And, uh, yeah, and this is actually something that they've been able to have success with in the short term because of the tech censorship. This is purely a product of tech censorship um, that they were able to do this and also spin off a lot of people that were promising that were in the MAGA movement, spin them off into wacky conspiracy world with QAnon and, you know, frankly, Stop the Steal, all that bullshit. Um, 
they're able to do this by censoring common sense voices like ours that have common sense demands. Stop discriminating, displacing, and frankly murdering white people. That's it. That's it. That's our main demand right now. And it's still too too far for them. So what the line is, I think the system has hit that line, which is going after the parents in that case. And that's going to have a reverberating effect for the entire system, I think, because a lot of people are realizing what they're really about, that they're not going to just stop at us. They're going to go after you, too, because this is not something. Remember, uh, the, 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 these types of institutional revolutions, uh, there's a lot of collateral damage in them. And so if you're not willing to make a stand at the earliest point possible, you're just putting off more and more work. And so that's why this case is so important. Um, so do you have any other, uh, do you have any, uh, kind of closing thoughts or, um, well, I, uh, I guess we, we talked about, uh, uh some of the best performances. I'm actually, I just had a judge moon moment. We have another hour. Oh. So we can go on for another. <laughs> no, yeah. I was thinking the same things. I was thinking the same thing. Stricker was like, wait a minute. I wish yeah. we're closing up now. I was like, wait, it's only been an hour. Uh, I'm tired, but depends. Oh, I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> by, 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 I'm going to have to start plugging way. my book sorry. right now. So, uh, sorry, Spectre. Yeah. I got I to gotta do this. You keep calling him James Kessler. It's Jason Kessler. Oh, you're Jason. having some oh, moments, too. I had a judgment moment, too, yeah. I've had to learn a lot of names in the last couple of days. I've written like 35, maybe 4,000 words in, in three days. So that's I think lot, I could be. A lot, that's a lot of well, words. We're, we're, co- we're covering these people journalistically. Just imagine how confused the jury is. Oh yeah, they're fucking confused. Which is and why yeah. having a united front as defendants would have been good. But you know, and, and having maybe fewer lawyers, crowdfunding lawyers and such. But no, everyone wants to do the libertarian way, where every man is his own island. And you know, I'm not sure what the efficacy of that is going to be, but. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Uh, yeah, at some point, I, I would wonder if the other uh, defendants would uh, move to have the, the National Socialist Movement's attorney, in their case, se- severed from this. Because that guy's guy is unbelievable. He was, uh, he was a, he's a piece of shit. He's a West Point graduate, went to some Catholic law school, um, and... We were talking earlier about uh, all the, the stupid reasons for the – my clients may believe these reprehensible things, that but guy they took have to it to, uh, to, to, to a thousand, that guy. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. And <laughs> I, I, I actually – I'm not giving like any credence here because I do think that this guy is a, kind of a piece of shit himself. They're, the only uh, reasonable – it still is cowardly, but a reasonable explanation could be that they know – he knows that – Antifa, the leftist press, will come after the attorneys who represent these uh, these uh, different defendants and try to ruin them going forward. They they try they try to do that to like Rittenhouse's lawyers. They don't have to go that far. I mean, mm-hmm. just going for cocktails with the local bar association is going to pressure you. I mean, that you know, one of the big factors in this case isn't just that the client the defendants are indigent. It's also that they couldn't find capable lawyers to represent them. Mm-hmm. So a, child, a child molester and a serial killer, there will actually be lawyers tripping over each other to represent them for publicity. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this case, they're so frightened. 
not just by anarchists, and that is also a factor. Remember, we we, we wrote that, uh, you wrote that, uh, the jurors were testifying during the selection that people were getting beat up in the parking lot across the street. Right. That there was a climate of fear. And, you know, uh, I think it was Rebrook, it was one of those guys that said something like, basically questioning whether the jurors could remain anonymous, which if he was on the other side is very much something you could just say objection to. What do you mean? Wait, what do you mean? The jury anonymization process doesn't apply here. What the fuck does that mean? Everyone sort of knows to some, to some extent. Now it's not to say that, um, you know, one, one thing that came up repeatedly in the jury selection hearings, was people were afraid that if they didn't rule in favor of the plaintiffs, that there would be personal ramifications, repercussions for them. Yeah, one, one man specifically said he feared that if he voted um, against finding defendants liable, he feared that um, they might come to his home. Yeah. And uh, amazingly, Karen, Karen Dunn said that uh, objected to this being uh, uh, mentioned. She she said that this was ridiculous. It's like a, a man's natural fear of a, a proven violent organizations, a proven outlaw organization that they would, uh, you know, who have attacked people in the streets, who have attacked people, who have gone to people's homes. That this was a possibility was ridiculous, and it's like, wait a minute, you want to strike a juror because he has natural fear? And this shows how morally bankrupt these people really are. And there's no doubt in my mind that, and there's actually a rumor, and it's just hard to find local press coverage um, of something like an altercation. Yeah, but it's not even like a. The Daily Progress in Charlottesville is, is is just fucking printed out and use it as toilet paper when the shortages come, because um, that that's all it is. It's it's right. They they're and if, there's a, and if there's a scuffle committing. in a parking lot, it's not going to make the news, even a local newspaper, community newspaper. So we can't verify yeah, all this. No, but it was testified to in court jurors. that that happened on Monday, and it was also rumored at least that a similar event happened this morning. The, the Jews designing the the uh, alternative reality were saying, oh, we have to pay all this money for security because the Nazis are going to threaten us. Not one juror said, I don't want to be on this jury because I'm afraid the Nazis will retaliate if I, uh, if I vote against them. Not one. It was all in one direction. Now, it could be a mistake. Am I right about that? That's absolutely true. Yeah. So... What does that tell you, right? The plaintiffs are at a dis. Their narrative is at a disadvantage because it's not true. <laughs> the narrative isn't true. That's why. You know, I think actually it was Cantwell that said this a while back. He said, "I couldn't wrap my mind around the, how the Jews created the invented the Holocaust until I saw this." You know, the 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 fact that they've been able to, in say, sixty percent of the population. They've been able to create this narrative around Charlottesville that is totally divorced. I was there. I witnessed a lot of uh, everything that, well, not everything, but a lot of things that happened. And the narrative was literally polar opposite. I mean, the, the facts are literally the polar opposite of what the plaintiffs are claiming. here. Literally oh, yeah. polar opposite. Okay. And well, you, they were able to just, engineer, manufacture... Uh, a fake uh, narrative of history with this. Yeah. It's going to come out eventually. I mean, 
it, it's not just me saying this. It's former federal prosecutor for Western District of Virginia, Timothy Heafy, was saying this in his investigation. Mm-hmm. And, and he said very clearly this was a, a fuck-up by the police. They probably did it on purpose. And that the uh, anarchists were essentially the catalyst. They were the ones that struck and wanted to use violence to have it. They deliberately, the conspiracy is that they deliberately used violence to deny the civil rights of the permitted protesters defending the statute. That's Absolutely. what actually happened. And it's not me saying it. It's the Hefe report. An independent so, audited report done shortly afterwards, looking at all the evidence that you know we wouldn't have access to. And I, I think it actually goes bigger than that, Stryker. I, I, think about uh, last summer. Think about how despite hundreds of cameras and cell phone cameras and footage of all of these very violent looting protests and, and arson and, and people being beaten in the streets, the news media would come on every night and tell you how they were mostly peaceful protests, that the BLM protests, yep. the only violence there were perhaps undercover Nazis. And th- they just continue to pound this home. There's the, I think it was even referenced in court today, the famous, uh, uh, you have the black CNN reporter standing in front of a huge uh, building on fire. Re- you know, there's all kinds of chaos going on behind him. And the Chiron says, uh, fiery but mostly peaceful protest. Yes. And so I want you to think back to other narrative building throughout history. Obvious, there's the obvious one that we all think about with uh, the war or World War II. Um, they, we didn't have the cameras. We didn't have the video footage. Um, all of this narrative came about afterwards with very little evidence to support it. And this huge lie was perpetrated on Western society. And you can, you can imagine how much more polar opposite of the actual narrative yeah. it was back then because there was nothing to even, you know, uh, to make you think maybe I'm being gaslit here. Then flash forward to the, the, the summer of riots, and you knew you were being gaslit, and some people were actually gaslit by it. But they they just blatantly lied to your face, and and in this case, it's the exact same thing. I, I you think your the, report, all the evidence is there that the violence was perpetrated and, and initiated by one side. It was caused by the the two sides being forced together, and we are now still hearing things like the most violent group in America. Uh, the, mo- the biggest threat is white nationalists. Uh, even though they, their actual reports will say, oh, by the way, yes, they're the most violent group in America. However, uh, or they won't say however, but their reports themselves say in 2019, 36 white, uh, there were 36 murders that were connected to white nationalists or white uh, racists, whatever. And in 2020, there were 17. 17 out of a population, if you take the estimate that um, and most 11% of, of the U.S. Yeah, that, well, if you take the estimate that 11% of the U.S. population shares our views, you know, that's uh, over 33 million people, or well, let's, probably about 30, let's, 39 million people, and only 17 see, murders, even tangentially let's connected let's to white the 11, Let's compare the 11% to the 13%. You know yes. what I'm talking about. And, oh, yeah. Let's, let's see who murders more people. Like, I mean, <laughs> but, and, and you know. And these are the things that – but I, I guess my point is these are the things that we can actually see before our eyes and how they're still, you know, creating this absolutely unbelievable well, false narrative. I, I, 
I have to say, uh, I don't think that the, the Black Lives Matter riots being peaceful, I don't think that worked. I think the, the vast majority of people know that's bullshit. They're yeah, but they afraid. tried. They tried to make it work. They definitely tried, but people definitely know that's bullshit because the riots were in every city. So everyone got to see it with their own eyes. Um, you know, so the, the only reason that more people aren't saying that it's that narrative is bullshit is because you lose your job if you say that. Right. Um, or, or worse, you get attacked. But uh, the the distinction is that with the Charlottesville rally, Unite the Right, what I remember is that initially it was much like the reaction to the 2020 Black Lives Matter riots, which is that right? it was a polarized issue. People on the right understood that the anarchists were the culprits. And then months after, this happened months after uh, Trump did the famous two sides, uh, someone somewhere... Tighten the screws on Trump's cuck belt. He fired Bannon. And I noticed that the entire alt-light changed its tune. They started supporting the Antifa. Laura Loomer famously, Laura Loomer, Jack Posobiec, they famously started giving money to the Antifa, like, was it Antifa butthurt, feel, butthurt or hurt feelings fund or whatever? Yeah. And, uh, uh you know, they started. So the reason they were able to get maybe a plurality or a small majority of people to agree with the anarchists and the Jewish power structures narrative on Charlottesville is because the right betrayed us. The fake right, the conservative right, months after the event, because initially, remember, Cernovich was posting DeAndre Harris as the instigator of the attacks that happened, right, with, mm-hmm. with the baseball bat and stuff. He was initially defending it, and then he got orders from Tel Aviv to drop that and, you know, throw throw the truth in the garbage pail. So that is actually why uh, the Unite the Right Charlottesville thing is harder to defend in terms of the truth. The truth is harder to defend in that case than in the anarchist and Black Lives Matter rioting cases because... The phony right turned on us on that one. So that's why it's a bit more of a challenge, right? So that th- this is something important to understand. Like, this is why, you know, a lot of people will, will, will come to me and say, why do you attack conservatives more than liberals? And the reason for that is that it's clear that liberals are the enemy, right, on some level. The problem are the people who are conservatives that are making plays for people that have our type of thinking, our impulses, our intuition. And so they sort of sound like us while putting the knife in our backs, even though we didn't do anything to deserve that other than have bigger rallies. And I remember before Charlottesville, the June free speech rally in 2017, um, when Alex Jones saw Alex Jones's people saw that Mike Enoch and Richard Spencer were going to be speakers, they suddenly didn't want to join the free speech rally. <laughs> oh, on Alex that. Jones, whose website is run by a Jew. That's that's right. OK. Well, aside, aside from that, let's just look at the unprincipledness of it. So because in June 2017, because Richard and Mike were going to be speakers at the free speech rally, Jones and Cernovich created their own competing free speech rally. And it didn't have half the people that ours did. So 
this is actually a motive of theirs for tactically going along with the anarchists in stuff like this. And, well, this, and their omission is, is the consent for it. You know? Is the June one you're referring to, is that the one that was in D.C.? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember that specifically. Like the Cernovich side of it, or the, uh, the Alex Jones Cernovich side of it, was just kind of pathetic. And the people who turned out for, uh, I guess Richard was there. I don't know if Mike was there. Mike and but, Campbell, yeah. yes. Everyone spoke. It was, a, it was a, I believe, a young student organized it. And it was an actual, genuine free speech rally. So mm-hmm. who are you going to have at a free speech rally? The people that have their free speech denied, right? And yeah. Alex Jones and Cernovich and all those people did, did not want to be seen in public with fellow, at least what they claim their dissidents, fellow dissidents. Um, they'll gladly be seen. People like that, if, you know, if, if Black Lives Matter came out to a vaccine rally, which they do in mm-hmm. New York, they, the, the Black Lives Matter movement helped some like Alex Jones style group or libertarian style group protest the vaccine mandate outside of Barclays Center, which is where the Nets play. They'll stand shoulder to shoulder with them. But God forbid they stand shoulder to shoulder with people that simply say white people are human and deserve yeah. rights and representation like every other group has. God well, forbid. And that's, and that's why I say and, fuck those guys. Fuck. Yes, and, and on a similar but uh, slightly separate uh, way, conservatives and Republicans are the enemies of free speech in that they will complain that they can't post certain things on, like about the vaccine and and COVID. Uh, There's theories on COVID on places like Facebook or Twitter. Or they'll complain that a milk toast uh, conservative got kicked off of Twitter or got his blue check mark taken away. And yet, when somebody says, well, fine, let's regulate Facebook and Twitter and all of big tech, they'll immediately jump to the position of, no, ho, 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 there, bucko. Yeah. We don't need to go regulating business. That's well, those not are, the answer Those are here. more like, you know, you're not going to hear that from Alex Jones and stuff. No, no, no. You'll no. hear it from the institutional conservatives, which that Absolutely. makes me ask, why vote for them? Right? Yeah. Like, why, why would you vote for them? If, if free speech is important to you and you're counting on the Republican Party to defend it, why would you vote for the Republicans when they won't defend it? So, you know, something fundamental and basic. Complain about Trump being kicked off of Twitter, and Trump had literally years where he, or at least a two-year period where he had the House, the Senate, and arguably the Supreme Court. Yeah, what did they do? And yet that? they did nothing. They did fucking nothing. They were probably, uh, they were probably mad that they had the whole fucking thing. Because then they had to look like they were doing something. Oh, and they did. Tax cuts, man. Tax cuts. (laughs) Because that's what everybody who voted for Trump was really concerned about. We didn't want to deport all the illegals. We didn't want to build a wall. We didn't want uh, fair trade instead of free trade. What we wanted was fucking marginal tax cuts at the top of and capital gains tax cuts. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Way to waste two years of our and, uh, and and blow all of your political capital. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. Anyway. Uh, what, what what other thoughts do you have about the case? Uh, I think if I had to sum it up, and again, I, I this is an imperfect analogy, but I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, a jury trial is a lot like a horse race, but where all the jockeys have never ridden a horse before. So, theoretically, in theory, you know the horses know the track. The horses are are, are the machines that race. 
and yet the jockey can really fuck it up if they don't know what they're doing and they do the wrong thing. So you can't really expect a logical outcome from a jury. You can't really expect – you can't know if they're going to be more moved by the legal argument or the emotional argument. Um, and certainly it's literally opening statements. Anybody who tries to make a prediction on the trial based on that, and I would not do so, um, is just being a fool. However, what I would say was if jury selection – and opening day are any indication of how the rest of the trial will go, in particular the opening statements of the plaintiffs, it would be my early call, and I'm going to preface that with it, this is a very early call, would be this case would be the defenses to lose. Yes. Because the plaintiffs don't have much. They don't have anything. The defense could fuck this up really bad, or they can, you know... They don't have anything other than personally characterizing... The defendants. That's not the same as proving a conspiracy to do violence. Right. You can exactly. characterize and people, and that is okay. That's good for the opinion columns of the New York Times. That's not something that should, in theory, hold up in court. Okay. Yeah. That's not. And as a reminder, it, it's a civil case. It does not require uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, just preponderance of the evidence. But at least what Kaplan and Dunn referred to did not seem like there was a preponderance of evidence to prove this conspiracy. Now, the jury just might not like the defendants. We saw that with Derek Chauvin. You know, all the evidence really pointed to the fact that this could not be possibly first degree or second degree or third degree murder. And in fact, the first degree and third degree murder charges seem to cancel each other out because you can't intentionally and unintentionally kill someone. It's like Schrodinger's murderer, I guess. Um, but Based on what we've seen, and as long as the, the the defense doesn't just go into the tank, just doesn't really just fuck this whole thing up, I think there's a very good chance that some, if not all, could be found to be not liable. And it, like I said before, it will take a unanimous decision to find them liable in, on each count for each defendant. The only yeah, the only person I could see them finding liable is James Fields, and good luck collecting in uh, 2,421. Yeah, and I do want to say something about James Fields' lawyer, what he said. He, uh, he started off by saying something like, something stupid, like, I'm not here to defend hate, and I'm not here to say that my well, clients potentially yeah. drive. Yeah, but he, uh, there was a phrase. James Fields, I don't think, I, I could be wrong, but I think that guy, that there's something going on. I could be, again, mistaken about this, where that is a government-appointed lawyer, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, and also it, it's worth noting that he cannot deny, uh, as part of his plea agreement for the 29 uh, counts of hate crimes with the Justice Department, he has to admit, or he, and has to anytime it's referenced, he has to say it was an intention. He intentionally drove the car into the crowd. It, right. That is part of the record, and he has to say it. So they can't sit there and say, and you know they can't soften it and say you know it was an accident or. Uh, whatever. So if it sounded like James uh, Fields' lawyer was throwing his own client under the bus, in this particular case, and in this particular opening statement, that's not what happened. He yeah. had to say those things. Um, so I don't know if this guy's going to be any better than the National Socialist Movement's lawyer. Well, I don't, know. I don't know. He could be worse. I mean, he could be... Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just, don't judge that him by that one particular aspect of it. I mean, if you listen to Edward Rebrook, you would think that his client's were like the guy in the dunk tank and he's like begging people to throw the ball to dunk them like this is like just it, it's probably the most ridiculous 
fucking thing I've ever seen in a courtroom in my life. Now, you said the thing about Derek Chauvin. I think that <clears throat> what maybe freaked the jurors out a little bit was that the trial was televised. And even though they yes. didn't show the, uh, the jurors just having the cameras in there and having so much public attention on it, they knew on some level that if they voted the wrong way, that it would come out. So they cut their losses and just said whatever the, the prosecutor wanted to just get out of that. You know, you know, this is another problem with America is that we, we've become so morally degenerated that people don't have any principles anymore. Everyone's looking out for number one. And it's worse with whites. White ain't loyal to white anymore. So, you know, the situation with, you know, not even on a level of defending the right of police to keep your neighborhood safe uh, from people like George Floyd, who is an absolute imminent danger to every single person around him with a proven record of it. Um, And they let the truly unprecedented media campaign get to them. You know, they were just intimidated. It was just mass scale jury tampering that case in yeah. this case what the advantage the plaintiffs the defendants have in signs versus kessler is that there's not as much of that now they could pick it up uh towards the middle of the trial but you know you're not seeing this everywhere you're not seeing the the twitter mobs going and talking about this incessantly and i think on some level they understand that because of the players involved that much of america hates antifa and black lives matter more than even the worst of the, quote, neo-Nazis. Although so, it was funny watching some of the, the, the Jewish press uh, during jury selection writing stories about uh, you know, some of the, the answers from some of the jurors and the juror questionnaires regarding Antifa show how successful the right wing's smear campaign against Antifa <laughs> has been. And it's like, no, these people can see it with their own eyes. These are, you know, there's, no one likes some little methed out or heroin out skinny piece of shit in a in a mat in a block in black block you know knocking down windows and and busting windows and, and they're not even down the streets they're not even methed out little guy they're doctors and lawyers and uh the children of trust fund i mean uh if if you look at you know countless children of politicians were arrested during these anti that's anti- true gear from tim kane's son senator tim kane's son to you know the, the sons and daughters of Hollywood moguls and uh, you know all types of famous people. Bill De Blasio's daughter was yes. uh, an arrested anarchist writer. So like you know th- this is something. This is truly the Antifa today are not gutter punks. They are the children of the elite. It's a kind of liberal reactionary army defending the privileges. Okay, because yeah, America I, I, America has more has less class mobility than Habsburg's Austria. This has actually been proven in studies that the power and wealth in this country, government positions, academic positions, you know, the the overwhelming majority, not the overwhelming majority, but a large portion of, say, Harvard entries, right? People like white people that get into Harvard are legacies, right? So this is actually kind of how affirmative action works too. Frankly, not discriminate against all whites, but specifically discriminate against white Gentile 
people who are working class or middle class. That's what Harvard's yes. affirmative action policies are intended to do because the, the, the white-skinned people that get in, you know, oftentimes with a, with a snipped tip, uh, they're the daughters and sons of other Harvard graduates. So they're keeping more and more wealth and power and elite status in fewer and fewer hands in this country. And the Antifa is a way to smash and, and shut down white populism that seeks to rectify this problem of access to power. Uh, yeah, and, and that's think, really how you can look at it from a sociological perspective. Yeah, yeah and I think also if you – I mean conservatives uh, have uh, just an annoying tendency to you know back the blue, support the police. They're not even doing that um, anymore. Well, I mean, they, they they did, and I think at least part of that, however, was motivated by they just wanted to see the police beat Antifa down in the streets. I, I have I to, think, I have I think to the say, natural reaction to Antifa is you want to see them get their heads cracked open. Well, I know? have to say, I have to say, I was even astonished by this. The Republican Party during the George Floyd riots did not actually mount a convincing defense of the police. They did. Yeah, they actually a lot of them went along with. Well, do you think that's because the radicals? With the Do you think radicals that they, they went along with the radicals, or were they just scared of uh, being oh. considered racist? Well, either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they, either they way, they're went useless. Along, they went along. You know, Merrick Garland, listen, I loathe him. He's a serpent, a little serpent with human skin. He made a good point when the retard Tom Cotton was grilling him, saying, "How come you didn't put out any memos about uh, Black Lives Matter last summer?" He said, "Well, I wasn't in the DOJ, motherfucker. Yeah. Your guys were." <laughs> <laughs> Why did you guys put out a memo to crack down on the BLM Antifa riots? Right? Oh no! What is he? And, and Tom Cotton just shut up because he had nothing to say. Merrick Garland is one hundred percent right there. No one actually. Very few people made a convincing defense of the police. The police unions were out there on their own, defending themselves. And now we see the FBI and the Department of Justice retaliating against them, where they're arresting the head of the Sergeant's Benevolence Union in New York, who is one of the big figures one of the only figures in this country of more than 300 million more than 330 million that stood up and said we oppose this black lives matter antifa violence one of the few people on the doj and fbi are going after this guy so the the, the this is actually said conservatives only back the blue when they're beating them up that's the only time they back the blue but when they're when they're cow and browbeaten by anarchists they don't say shit anymore which is, yep. they, they're going to have to change their tune. I mean, they're they're doing more now that it's safe and the coast is clear. They're doing it more and more because they need to they need to run on something for the midterms. But uh, really, just <clears throat> the one thing that the institutional right always did and and kept their promises on was law and order. That was always their thing, and that's why Mayor Giuliani won in a blue state. That's why mm-hmm. you know this, this law and order candidacies work. People want that. And the Republicans couldn't even do that. They couldn't even fucking do that. So, again, really disgusting their behavior. Um, and, you know, in the case of the, um, in, in, in the, the Sines versus uh, Kessler case, uh, the police are, are a, a gaping omission here. Yep. Okay, the role of the police in facilitating this violence. It wasn't just the, that the Erica showed up, it's that the police didn't keep them away. I, I got to give credit for to Josh uh, to to Josh Hill, uh, not Josh Hill, um, Josh Smith. Yeah, um, he was one of the few that actually mentioned that during his open statements that the violence was a result of the police 
pushing the two groups together, the two opposing yes, groups together. The Hefe report. Yeah, read the fucking um, Hefe report. So he, but he was the only one who mentioned it. I mean, that should have been a talking point for every single defendant. Right. Um. But yeah, I, I don't know. Um. I just I keep thinking this is going to be a long three and a half weeks, mm-hmm. punctuated by welcome new episodes of the radical agenda. And I can't be the only. I mean, surely the jurors are also going to be actually looking forward to him getting up and speaking um, yes. when he gets a chance. They're probably um, cra- cracking up. I mean, I could oh, see yeah. it, but they're probably well, I, I couldn't see it, but it was reported by somebody who's in the courtroom that at least one or two jurors did positively respond to some of the things by body language to some of the things that Cantwell was saying. Right. Now, again, I want to caution people um, who are listening to it. You can uh, there's a number you can call to to, to listen in on your phone. Um, and you can there's a reason most record it. You cannot record it. It's yeah, you cannot record it at all. Um, you have to listen to it live. So if you miss Cantwell dropping the N word in federal court, well, that's that's one of those things. Like when Owen Hart fell and died in WWF, you're yeah. never going to see it again. If you didn't catch yeah, or it, the, live, or, or the Fourth of July TPS stream. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't catch it live, uh, you weren't there. You missed it. But, but that does bring up the point, though, that there is a reason that when the other lawyers in particular are going to be speaking, it's going to be very dry and boring, even if they're appealing to emotion. Um, courtroom theatrics, uh, the staple of television and movies, don't really exist for the most part. Cantwell will be bringing the theatrics, no doubt. But a lot of this is going to be some very dry um, stuff, and it's going to be you know kind of monotonely de- delivered, at least until we get to closing arguments where they get all theatrical again. Yeah. Um, so I, again, I, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, uh, conventional wisdom tells you that the measured slow, just go with the letter of the law approach is what's supposed to win over a jury. Jurors Uh, won't remember you. Yeah. Yeah. They they won't remember you. And I think especially that may have even held true, say 80 years ago, 90 years ago, um, when you had more learned and more civically involved population, uh, a more racially cohesive uh, uh, civilization as well. Um, but who knows in this day and age, Cantwell may be the one who, you know, you know, if, if theatric saves this, he will be the one you can pin it on. It can even change the way people approach these, these cases, these political cases, if, if, if he's successful, mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of taking a shot in the dark with it, but, um, you know, that, that's what everyone's talking about. So, yeah. And, and he even said, is that good? Is that good? I don't know. I'm not going to say yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the jury's like. I don't know anything. I like but, how he even incorporated um, sort of an end before. Uh, and yes. and so he when he gets shot, when he gets shot down uh, over something, he or he oversteps because there are certain rules about how you can bring things in or say things during actual uh, during the actual trial. And he said, you know, basically, my big mouth has gotten me in a lot of trouble in life. It's probably going to get me in trouble in the next three weeks. Right. I mean, so the jury's already prepared for the fact that you know, if you're going to do if you're going to do the Larry Flint defense, yes, that's how you do it. Yeah, and so you don't so do it by being tepid and quiet and mixing it with legalism. No, you do that if you're going to be Larry Flint, be Larry Flint. Yeah, and so if Judge Moon ends up jumping on him a lot during uh, any time that he's. Uh, I don't know. He's probably not, he's not giving testimony. I don't think. Um, but he, although you might, you can be compelled to give testimony in civil trials. But he will probably most definitely cross-examine witnesses and and bring his own. Um, 
we don't know. We have not seen the full uh, doctor of how this is going to unfold. But these are yeah. just like some some likely suppositions. But he will probably get interrupted by objections and or or yeah. the judge just jumping in and saying, "I'm going to direct you not to do that." And right. I don't think the jury is going to hold it as much against him. He's like, "I'm a smart guy, but I'm not a lawyer. I get a lot. I get in a lot of trouble." You know, you're supposed to give to- pro se attorneys more space and leeway now. You know, the, the 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 whining that the plaintiffs are doing is that he's uh, using, allegedly using um, people in, in his prison, um, notably Matt Hale and Bill White. That's the allegation. I think they may have uh, said so themselves, uh, claiming that they're ghostwriting his legal opinions for him. Because every time a pro se... Uh, a pro se defendant writes legal opinions that the plaintiffs are having trouble with. They just make that accusation, right? Right. And you know, uh, not for nothing. But Matt Hale, if if that's true, which I have no idea if it is, and I don't want to know uh, if that's true, Matt Hale is an actual trained attorney. Um, he was only denied his law license for his political beliefs. Uh, Bill White. Is someone who, from way back in the day, he okay, he was a costume Nazi, a bit of a character, whatever. But uh, I remember many years ago following his fight with the federal government for his freedom, and he fought the DOJ to a standstill. Bill White, as a pro se attorney, he did very well to the point where even judges were commending him for his legal abilities. He's a talented guy on that front. So you know. Um, again, not something that guarantees an outcome, not even something I even know it's true. It's, I don't even know, but the point is that, um, you know, these guys, uh, they're not as weak as they may have looked today. They, right. they have some, I have to think they have some idea of what they're doing. So, and they have the facts on their side. So mm-hmm. they just have to do a so-so performance to get uh, an outcome, right? They have to do yeah. a, a, a moderately decent performance. The the insurmountable odds are on the ten million dollar attorneys and the, for the plaintiffs. Okay, that's that. Those are the people that have the impossible, which is to prove what is essentially a insane tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. So yes, yeah. And then also speaking of how the jurors, you know, may not follow the directions as they're supposed to. They may, you know disregard uh directions in a way it could and again i'm cautioning could and i'm not making a prediction um it could actually benefit defendants that they have x number of uh i think one two three four five i think it's five five actual lawyers who will be making more of the legal case and then you'll have um cantwell and spencer making more of an emotional case for the most part and even though the jurors are supposed to consider each individual defendant and the charge or the the allegations against them separately, and therefore, like if they found uh, Spencer liable, that doesn't mean that they should find Cantwell liable or traditional Workers Party liable, or even if they found eleven uh, or nineteen out of the twenty liable, that still doesn't mean that the twentieth one he should only be considered on the basis of what was brought against him and what his lawyer said in defense. However. After four and a half weeks of all this, it would seem like that you would kind of start getting a more of a holistic. It's almost like the defendants have, you know, ten lawyers, 
making different cases against the two from the prosecutor or for the plaintiffs. Yes. And, and Moon also, by the way, is confusing the shit out of the jury with his thing about Eli Mosley and Asmador, where he said, well, I hope this ain't confusing, but the uh, Eli Khan and Asmador Ray uh, are found guilty of the conspiracy, despite not actually being found guilty of the conspiracy. But they're found guilty of the conspiracy uh, after adverse inferences. Uh, that doesn't mean that the other defendants are guilty of the conspiracy. So that's going to confuse the shit out of the, the jury. And <laughs> that could go. I don't know how that would work out. Uh, yeah, he, he, he reminds me of the, the, the chicken lawyer in Futurama. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that, but he's, it's just kind of a kind of an idiot Southern lawyer stereotype. And he just I, – I question whether he's – I'm not going to say competent, but I just question how much he's checked out during all this. And like you said earlier, it could be that his worst shit-libby opinions and decisions have been those that were not written, written by his, him. Written by his, that's, yeah, written by his clerks. strong circumstantial evidence that they weren't written by Yeah. And, and then – Very um, strong. Strong enough to get an ethics hearing over it. Yeah, and and then in turn, his actual knee-jerk reactions and rulings during court, where he doesn't recess to like to consult for ten minutes or whatever, where he actually just makes them on the fly, his instinct may be, you know, more in the right place, more as an actual judge. Well, his instincts, as in you know, being a judge and doing your job. Yes. Yeah. Like you know, the 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 ridiculous Batson challenge. I mean, I'm I'm actually most concerned. Uh, speaking of just the the unpredictability of the jury, this is a small town, and at least once or twice during uh, jury selection, even though they were supposed to be only referred to by their jury numbers, the juror numbers, an and town. even yeah, it's it's an Antifa town. So you have people in the court, you know, functionaries who will see the jurors and will yeah. you know he will probably it's a, not a huge town might recognize that guy. Or in turn, as I said, during jury selection, there was at least a couple of times where they were asking about whether this would be a hardship to serve on a jury for four weeks. Uh, and, and, the, and Judge Moon would ask them, well, what do you do for a living that you know you can't be, you know, uh, that you would not be able to serve on the jury? And the person's like, well, I'm one of two nurse practitioners at a health facility. Well, oh, it, yeah. you know, and if you're there in that county, it's not going to be hard if you're like a dedicated Antifa yes. to... To like find out which of the health facilities only has two nurse practitioners, right. or one guy had a towing company, you know, and he was yeah. sole proprietor, and his daughter. Well, guys uh, like, oh, I work for an AV company, and I'm the only person on the staff. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like, um, yeah, it's not going to be really hard necessarily if things start looking like they're not going to go the plaintiff's way. For Antifa. although someone is saying though that they pulled it from the entire western district of the state, so that's a pretty broad. Well. I don't – that may be true to a certain degree, but at least the ones that I was listening to, um, when they talked about – like uh, when the jur judge would ask them specifically where they were from, like what town or suburb they were from, most of them seemed to be from pretty close to Charlottesville, if not Charlottesville itself. Yes. Uh, and so yes, it's not – again, are, it's a small town. This is, this is not the anonymity of so, a New York City trial. Warren – yes, it's true. Warren and Greg Conti have their own civil lawsuit in Charlottesville that they're still fighting over. And I believe that Parrott and Kessler have their own offensive lawsuit in the, in the, uh, in the court. So I thought Greg's was in Michigan, not, well, that's his criminal case. He still has oh, a okay. criminal case he's dealing with, but, um, he has a civil case against 
and they're they're going pro se, and uh, he has a civil case against Charlottesville. The facts are airtight, the arguments are airtight, but we'll see where that goes. You know, it's good to you know, just try if you if you lose nothing. Yeah, you know, just let me look at what the Jews are doing. Okay, they're willing to burn ten million dollars just for the chance that they can get something out of this in terms of not yeah. money. Obviously, they want to get oh, no. a precedent against the First Amendment in civil court. They, they want uh, high-profile scalps, yep. and they want Nazi scalps straight out of Inglorious Bastards, and they want the effect this will have say on that. organizing and free speech. And they, they, and they say it. openly. They Roberta say Kaplan it. The Jewish Daily Forward saying that that we are going to bankrupt them. We're going to make sure that they don't want to organize, and that it will be too costly for them. So this fat fucking dyke is doing this. Right. And it's and, open, and it's being and, allowed, and it should—I mean, she should be fucking disbarred. And uh, here's another thing too. You know, again, this would be—I'm not giving legal advice here, but you know, if I was giving an opening statement and I was pro se, I'd probably get struck by moon for saying this. But I would just put it out there, be like, you know, <laughs> this lawsuit is being funded by the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, which is the lobbying arm of a foreign government. And they are, so a foreign government is attacking the First Amendment in the United States. You know, and I won't even say what the foreign government is. Go look it up. You know, and judge, and Moon would immediately jump on that. You can't say that. Okay, okay I won't say it anymore. Just put it out there. You know, because uh, that's really what this is. The Anti-Defamation League is funding this ridiculous lawsuit. They are not an American organization. They're an Israeli organization. And you have an Israeli lobby, foreign government's lobby, literally meddling, not with our elections, but our fundamental constitutional rights in America. Okay, so that is something that could work on certain jurors. You know, one, one thing I found very strange about Rebrook is that he was sort of dog-whistling about Jews. And the, the plaintiffs, wasn't that strange? Did you notice that? I guess I didn't. I mean, I, I guess okay, maybe I well, was like... Uh... He said, I, I, we, can't, yeah. we can't let these New York types come and undermine the First Amendment in Virginia. About the plaintiffs. Did you notice that? Rebrook said that. Hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, he said, and in fact, the, the judge kind of, the, the defense actually objected to it. Oh, plaintiffs. Because you're not supposed to make arguments, and you're not supposed to, like, right. uh, you know, you, you can discuss them. Like, after everything he said, he adds that other thing, just really no, just add a note. New York interests. Yeah, New, well, yeah he New said York New York interests, interests are coming to erode the First Amendment in Virginia. I mean, what the... <laughs> and, of course, the... I mean, that almost sounds like what, something we'd say if we were on some mainstream right. thing trying to dog whistle. So, the yeah, and this is right after completely, you know, talking about how despicable his own clients were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this guy is like, yeah. And, of course, that, that was one of the few objections that the plaintiffs put into motion, and that's because they heard it loud and clear. <laughs> they heard what he was saying loud and clear. Oh, yeah. I, I looked at some uh, Antifa Twitter that are following the Charlottesville um, after the trial today, and, uh, yeah, they, they were definitely upset about the New York interests and the, lawyer, the lawyers I, coming down from New York. I, would also, I was like, yeah, they, they knew that that, that, that was... Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I threw a blank on that earlier, but, yeah, you're... Uh, and, yeah. again, it, it's easy for us to do this. We're, we're sitting... I hate other people that do this, so I'm going to catch myself sitting in the armchair making uh, plays, right? I hate doing that, but, you know... Again, our our job here is to comment on it, so we have no choice. But 
Um, you know, focusing on the just mind-blowing difference in resources between the two sides. One side has spent over $10 million. The other side, half the fucking people are indigent. Like, yeah. this is not a fair trial. And I would, you know, pay maybe not make it about the attorneys directly, but say, you know... David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Is That's such how you a, cast it's it. Such, it's such a theme that resonates with, with people. And, you know, I didn't see that argument be made in the opening statements. So no, they should have. That should it, be an it, argument, yeah. And it is an indictment of the, the American legal system. Yeah, you, you can, can get a court-appointed yourself. lawyer in a criminal trial, but yes. if you're a broke fag and uh, you get sued, you're on your own, buddy. Fucked, yeah. You're totally fucked. All right, Borzoi, let's get to the questions. You there? Oh, before we do that, yes, I, I, it, I didn't do it at the beginning. I just wanted to say oh. real quick. Um, my book, Opioids for the Masses, the Big Pharma War on uh, Middle America and the Working Class, that I wrote with uh, Richard McClure, will be coming out. We have a date. November 12th from AntelopeHillPublishing.com. I don't know if pre-sales are available. I, don't, I just now heard today that we were allowed to announce it. But, uh, yeah, be looking for it in a couple weeks. Yeah, so like just it. so everyone knows, Spectre, Spectre is actually a trained journalist, and he went for like a year. He traveled all over the place investigating the opioid crisis. So this is a very interesting book that I'm eager to read. So I'm glad it's finally coming out. Thank you. Um, I like how you. I, I liked how you let people think that the book was permanently canceled and would not clarify that. Well, the big thing, and I, I don't want to go into detail, but the big thing was we knew in September we were going to get the decision in the Purdue Pharma case, which is obviously kind of like the linchpin. And there were several chapters where we had tried to anticipate and you know speak forward about it, not knowing for sure what was going to happen. And it was just among other, you know, we just wanted to make it airtight. And then we, and then at that point, it was like, well, we just need to wait, wait until the decision, and we can get these other chapters in there. So it it, it was just a decision to make the book better. One, 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 one last thing, though, about the trial. Uh, another thing I noticed is that both the plaintiffs and the defendants were entering media opinion pieces into record. Uh, that's really something I've only started seeing recently, where lawyers are deferring to mass media, to, to very prejudiced New York Times articles, and entering that into the fucking court record. That's really shitty, and, and you see it everywhere. Like Merrick Garland, when defending himself, said that he wrote the memo to go after the parents after reading about it in the media. Okay, you're, you're not a fucking layman. You're a fucking attorney general. You don't fucking open investigations into people because of opinion pieces in the media. Okay, that's not how it works. And yet I saw no one challenge him on that. Say, wait a second, you're the attorney general of the United States and you create predicated investigations based on fucking New York Times reporting, based on political journalism. Editorial, editorialized journals that 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 should be unacceptable, and at one point it was. Like judges would actually tell you not to do that, and it no. seems like they they've quietly, as the media has gotten worse and more uh, more shitty and and more fake, uh, they're relying more and more on it in, in in lieu of facts, and and that's really fucking bad for our for our criminal justice system and our civil justice system. So, I just want to add that in. 
Like, I mean, I, I think that as a rule, if you see someone doing that, you know, uh, you should you should actually object to it, even if you get thrown thrown out. And you well, this this latest this this latest crop of of Jews are just not as good as the previous crop at what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, they're just one. They're mask off, and two, they're just not that smart anymore. Oh, they gotten not. lazy. No, I mean, you know, there there were very great Jewish lawyers in the 1960s and 70s that you could like read transcripts of their of, of how they like the, the absolute cleverness of some of their arguments and stuff. You don't see that with Dunn and Kavanaugh. And you can even find some some back then that were like. I literally do not care that my client hates me or that my client is this yeah. absolutely reprehensible piece of shit. I'm going to give him the best defense possible, and I'm going to do it. Not even for – I'm just going to do it on principle, and you know, you got to respect they, that. Well, that, they did that as a cover. The ACLU used to do that as a cover for all right. the shitty things they were doing. So they would take yeah, so they 100 – they could send the child molesters no, and then – Yeah, they, they would take 100, so could, 100 cases where they punish – children for praying in school they'll take a hundred cases like that that makes you hated and then they'll take one case where a guy in a swastika wants to march around and then they would say see this isn't just like a judeo-communist conspiracy we we will defend them too you know uh but that's when they were trying to crack the uh the defenses of the society once they get into power they become completely inconsistent Okay, that's this is how it is. The, the, the ACLU was never sincere. Okay, Ira Glass was never sincere, um, and you see it by the evolution of the organization, uh, and also the fact that you know the fact that the ACLU is now openly just a Judeo left organization that uh, you know aside from a few people here and there, uh, no one's really questioning it that much. You know, Ira Glass did to his credit, but no one is convincingly making an effort to bring the ACLU back to uh, to what it used to be, you know, where they take these cases. Yep. And the reason is, you know, they, they have a point to some extent, which is that if we're allowed to speak, we're going to win the political arguments. So, oh, yeah. they, well, um, yeah. I, I have a hard stop at 1030. Um, okay. I, 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 you, know, you guys can keep going. I'll just have to jump off. But did you want to get some questions or anything like that? Yes, let's do that if we can. All right, so I'm going to be reading through some of the uh, stuff here on, on Odyssey. Just keep in mind, uh, Striker, when you when there's a question, library coins uh, are about worth four cents a piece. So <laughs> keep that in mind before well, you go on a long tangent. So on some of these library coins, coins but for, for fourteen eighty eight from Tam. Thank you, Tam. Five dollars. Give us from, something valuable like Dogecoin. No, no, like this is like I will. Uh, I will know. I will note when they were actual library coins. So, uh, $14.88 from Tam, $5 from Phantom Soul, one library coin from Achilles Tented Weather Balloon. Has anybody seen Kyle? Mm-hmm. Uh, f- five library coins from Forest Elephant. A question for Stryker regarding the Holocaust. What was the actual Nazis' policy regarding mentally ill and the handicapped? Because I've noticed people pull this card when Jew tears we, we don't go, work. We can go back to that. Spectre okay, well, go, so let's let's. Okay, ten dollars from Phantom Soul. Spectre does such a good job of acting like an affable boomer goofball. I forget he's actually a serious journalist. No yeah. ebo. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very kind. Uh, Five dollars from DS Allen uh, Seven. Whenever someone tries to bring up James Fields as an example of white terrorism, show them this. Dinduisha BLM chimp deliberately plows into crowd of Trump supporters. Got memory hold fast. 
That always happens. Uh, yeah. yeah, when's this one? I'm assuming this is an older story. Yeah, it's from 2020. Okay. Well, the guy who first d- decided yeah. James Fields was a terrorist was Jeff Sessions. Yeah. Jeff Sessions. Okay. So, fuck him, too. Fuck, again, the conservatives are to blame for a lot of these things. Five uh, library coins from Literary Ridgeway. I want an island. $14.88 from Eraser. Good work, Spectre. Thank you. One one library coin from Larry Ridgeway, Spectre the Spooky Ghost. One library coin from Murray <laughs> Calwin. Great, great reporting from Spectre. One library coin from Larry Ridgeway, Spooky Spectre. <laughs> Love you, Larry. <laughs> one library coin from Forced Elephant. Conservative saber rattling to invade China to save the poor Uyghurs after 20 years of counter jihad programming has been a classic. We've always been at war with East Asia moment in my. Moment in my lifetime and fascinating to watch. Uh, Five dollars from the Knight Sir Leon. What is the solution, Striker? One library coin from Larry Ridgeway. Have a good show. One dollar from Thomas Dank. Fire emoji. One library coin from G. Krunkenberg. The ballpoint pen thing was a mistake Robert Farisha made. Ten dollars from Zyclone B. Uh, how long before conservatives start buying Lady Maga's diapers? Wow. One, li- one library coin from Seen Kyle. It's a I salute. love that meme of art conservative women versus liberal women, and it's Ugh. Caitlyn Jenner. It's Caitlyn Jenner versus like some anti yeah. tranny. Five, <laughs> oh five library coins. I actually, I actually the- knew a conservative who said that to me. He said, "Yeah, but at least our our uh, tranny looks better." I was like, "Oh my god!" You oh yeah. Racist. Oh no! They'll take any. You really any believe it? Superficial. Let's go, Brandon. Win. They can get. <laughs> well, it's not that they believe it. It's that they literally are desperate for any kind of win. Like yeah. they, like that's yeah. this like is that. why this is why owning the libs is is such a dangerous uh, opium. Yeah. Really. Well, some of those, a lot of those people. Ironically, if if they thought fucking a tranny would own the libs, they would do it. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. They no, that, that's. That's how dangerous the copium is. But uh, five library comes from the bunker. And then we had, uh, what was this? This I got to switch browsers here. Uh, five, $5 from the from reactionary Matt. What are your criticisms of Spectre, of Spencer, not Spectre. What are your criticisms of Spencer's opening statement? I would just briefly, he did throw some of his co-defendants under the bus. He, uh, he, 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 some of it was just a little bit dry. He was trying for something more than he was able to accomplish. I mean, he's a good speaker. Don't get me wrong. He's a good. He's a better speaker than he is a writer. Um, and he did have some really good points in there. Uh, I just. He also started off with the. You'll probably find some of my sincerely held beliefs reprehensible, and I just. I just rankle at that approach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, th- there were some high points in his defense. Yes. Absolutely. Sure. There were some high points, and and there were some very memorable moments. Uh, but yes, the, 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 like like all things, you know, he's not a trained lawyer. But to be honest, some of the trained lawyers weren't any better. So, well, I didn't make note that uh, the uh, that at least one lawyer was stopped by the judge more times than Spencer and Cantwell put together. Yep, yep. Which is such a damning, <laughs> damning uh, indictment of the legal profession, as someone else is saying. I mean, think about that. But anyway, let's keep going. So that's the we can now we can double. Well, okay, actually, let me just quickly read these. Uh, five library coins from Turkleton post posted mini wheats. Five uh, library coins from Kayla and sending you all comfy autumn feels. 
So we can loop back around to some of the more serious questions now. Uh, Spectre, if you need to bounce, you can bounce now. Yeah. I will, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. Once again, November 12th, Opioids for the Masses by myself and Richard McClure. And you can find Spectre's uh, coverage of this case. He's going to do it every day for most or all of the trial. Um, you can find it on national-justice.com. So. And I do some live blogging occasionally when I can on uh, my Telegram channel. So check that out as far as the, the uh, trial goes. Yep. Let's let's pl- I'm gonna I'll talk to Diana Lopez. Let's plan on doing a uh, a special third rail sidecar. You and me just talking about that book. Um, I'll get an advanced copy on it. Or the People's it. Square. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could do it on the People's Square if you so insist, Striker. Yeah. If you so insist. But uh, head out. Go, I, I I know what's keeping you, Specter, or I assume I know. You, you head out before you get in trouble. Thanks, brothers. I will uh, right. see you later. And also a third rail, probably early this morning or early, early Saturday morning. So, peace out. Ah, take care, Specter. Thanks for coming on. Yep. All right. And you want so you want to uh, respond to some of these uh, actual kind of like more serious questions here? Sure. So a question, a question for Stryker regarding the Holocaust. What was the actual Nazis' policy regarding mentally ill and the handicapped? Because I've noticed people pull this card when Jew tears don't work, and I'm sure this person is yes. referring uh, to Action Action T4. Yes, so there was an Action T4. Um, it was not what they say necessarily, but yes, they did euthanize uh, some severely... Uh, sick or disabled or mentally ill people and the reasoning for it was to ration healthcare as a world war approached so just like countries in wartime footing ration food and water and things they were preparing for massive losses um, and the need to save healthcare resources because of it, and they. Well, I mean, they were already in war when they started. Like they literally nice. started it once, like once they invaded yes. Poland. Yes, so. and and uh, you know, not and it wasn't just the the Germans um, rationing healthcare for themselves. They had to ration healthcare for Poland when they entered. There was a a, a massive. This is actually a, a story that the Red Cross has actually supported at the time which is that there was a huge typhus outbreak in Poland that the Germans essentially saved thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of Polish lives by containing a disease epidemic with these healthcare resources. Now, with that said, a lot of people in Germany were upset about the T4 euthanasia program. And which, by the way, you know, in retrospect, something like that, it seems ethically dubious and you know kind of creepy or whatever to do that but you have to remember in the 1930s things like this were common many countries practiced this type of stuff including the united states the united states practiced eugenics they buck practiced, v bell yes they practiced it was, a, it was enshrined in the supreme court buck v bell literally enshrined uh, youth um or sterilization into our uh, into our law not with the exception of Catholics and, and, and the Catholic Church, it was not that controversial in Western countries at the time to do this kind of stuff. Um, so that's that. That's that. And furthermore, by 1940 or 1941, I believe, Hitler scrapped the entire T4 euthanasia program 
because of how unpopular it was. So he got a lot of complaints from the German people that they didn't like this, and he stopped it. And there was no more T4 euthanasia after 1941. So that was a brief period that is just a little, you know, depending on your perspective, a little, a little, uh, um, a little smear on the German record. But yes, some of that did happen. Yes, they, they did euthanize people that were severely mentally ill and severely and so on. But it wasn't, it was just the, the spirit of the times. It wasn't controversial in the world at the time, with the exception of certain thinkers like Catholic thinkers and so on. And uh, long story short, they stopped doing it. So it was a brief period where this was happening. And also, when it came to sterilization and eugenics and stuff, they had a court that Lothrop Stoddard criticized as being far too lenient. It, the, the standard for sterilizing someone, ordering sterilization of someone in court, was so high that very few people comparatively were sterilized. In the United States, the United States did the same shit. They sterilized people too. So... You know, whatever you want to say about the T40 euthanasia program, you can find equivalents in other countries at the time. So, yes, anyway. Uh, I was going to find, I was looking for a thing from, because I remember an interesting passage from Eichmann in Jerusalem where she actually, or even Hannah Rent kind of provides more context for the entire I, situation, which I is mean, more than they teach you. Things like the T4 euthanasia program are happening right now as we speak in Holland and other European countries. Okay, you can actually get euthanized because you're depressed. Famous case of a girl who was a, a teenage girl who was raped as a as a child and was depressed, and she asked to be euthanized, and the Dutch courts said yes. So, you know, it, it really, I, I personally, I fucking have no real interest in liberal moral premises, which is that, that somehow consent makes something right or wrong. Uh, the fact of the matter is that, you know, uh, a depressed teenage girl being euthanized by her government is just as monstrous as a severely mentally retarded person being euthanized, if, if you're going to speak of this ethically. It's just as monstrous. And it's happening as we speak it's being done by the people that are constantly lecturing you about human rights. Okay. And their, their only argument of, of criticism of moral high ground against the Germans for T4 was that this like more legalistic consent argument, which is, you know, can someone like that even consent? Right. So anyway, there's T4 euthanasia happening right now in Holland. So keep that in mind too. Yeah, looks like I'm not going to find the, the exact passage I was looking for, so I'm just going to move on to the next one and not worry about it. So, the other question we had, I remember there's at least one more that was relevant. Uh, we already kind of covered uh, the whole, whenever someone tries to bring up James Field as an example of white terrorism, show him this, which is the... Uh, Driver plows into Trump gathering. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you can find year. a million incidents of people running over people, not just Trump supporters, but even Black Lives Matter supporters. Oftentimes, it's like some black guy that's really drunk or high. Uh, you know, you can just find that over and over. The, the James Fields thing was just for the government to make an example for political reasons. There's nothing more to it. 
Um, he didn't get a fair trial. I mean, yeah, that, that one is, that's an easy one. I mean, running people over is just like, if people are blocking the street, they're going to get run over. There you go. Let's see here. Uh, conservatives saber rattling to invade China to save the poor Uyghurs after 20 years of counter jihad propaganda has been a classic. We've always been at war of East Asia moment in my lifetime and fascinating to watch. I don't know if there's anything to add to that. Oh, yeah, they're they're really going hard on that, but it's not having the same impact that the Islam thing is because, like, China really isn't doing anything to us. It's not something. Now, they could blame the supply chain issues on China, but, uh, you know, whose fault is that? Why the fuck did you put your supply chains in the People's Republic of China to begin with? Who did that? Right? Who did that? Well, our own capitalists. With some support from the U.S. government. The Reagan administration, as I put up on my telegram the other day, the Reagan administration essentially gave tax breaks to American manufacturers to move to China uh, in order to compete with Japan for global exports and manufacturing. So they would save on wages with low-wage labor because they were afraid that Japan was getting too big, too strong, too economically dominant in the 1980s and they wanted to undermine them. Because frankly, on some level, I think they also saw historical trajectories where they simply thought the Chinese were never capable of challenging Western power on a global scale. The Japanese had proven that they, they're capable of doing it. And so because of that, they empowered China, possibly even as a counter to Japan. It's all very distant now. Japan is an irrelevant country that's essentially shriveling up and dying. But in the 1980s, they were actually afraid that Japan would break with America and do its own thing because of how powerful it was the second largest economy in the world in the 80s. So um, this is uh, some, some interesting history about outsourcing. So they, they create it, and they're not going to make it any better. A lot of populism ink types think that by jumping on board the chi- anti-China train that they're going to get manufacturing back in America. No, they're not. They're just going to move it to Vietnam and to India. And then you're going to have the same problem in the future. So there you go. So this guy might have been responding to something you specifically said at the time. And I don't know. I just don't know what it would be. Um, but I'm going to treat this as though he, this is like a what is truth? Big question type thing, which he did for five dollars. What is the solution, Striker? Well, I mean, that's not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I need fucking eight hours for that. one. That's what is the the solution is just keep going out there and telling the truth and, you know, yeah. building our media, building our, our political groups, building our legal groups. Remember, the Free Free Expression Foundation, definitely support them. Very good people, very principled defenders. They're, they're very willing to defend our free speech rights as they understand that we are where the line is to fight back for the First Amendment. So that's something, you know, just supporting our own institutions, you know, or institutions that, that are conducive to our freedoms and efforts, you know? So that's it. That's the solution. I, 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 I joke sometimes that like, because we have a podcast is like, people feel like we have to give them homework or something. It's like, I listen to you. You gotta, like, you gotta tell me what to do. You gotta lead the way. And that's, you know, that's not exactly how this works. It's like, all right, uh, let me, let me just take the, you at your words. Like, and let me give you some homework. And what I tell people is 
you need to get people to understand the concept of of solidarity. And I oh yeah. You know, I, I walk like, you know, I walk what I talk. I, I, I don't say stuff and then not enact on that stuff. Like I got a bunch of boomers uh, recently who don't even like they might not. I don't think they even agree with 50 percent of what we say. But that's fine because like they know I'm a good person and like, they trust they trust me. And I they know that I will back them up. And so they'll they've said to me, like, look, you say some kind of radical things and I don't necessarily agree with it. But like you're you were on the same side here. And yeah. that like that's all I need from them. Like a lot of guys get hung up on this idea. Like I got a red pill, my parents or no. something. And it's like, that's not. No, no, that, you got to get. Yeah, you got to get trust that's you and have solidarity. Listen, if you're the annoying person that is like a religious zealot constantly trying you know if someone says no five times like it's no okay they don't want to do it that's fine but see i i like to always talk about my my you know the the way you, you know we've dealt and i mean we maybe trs and stuff has dealt with the proud boys right so the proud boys it, it's, it's not something it's intuitive right the proud boys on the surface are gay but you know they have good energy. They have a good, they have a good nationalist energy. I don't agree with them on many things. Many of them aren't white, but you know, understanding that we're kind of fighting the same enemies here, and showing some solidarity to them. I can't tell you how much that's brought back solidarity from them. You know, you have to understand the difference between a political disagreement and a personal disagreement. Okay. If you make political disagreements too personal with people, you will push more people away than you'll attract. If you just look, even if someone's not on board with everything you believe, if you just look like you got your shit together and you can get things done and you can help them out, you would be surprised at how loyal they will be to you in the end. You know, I mean, that's just how it is. And it's not to be Machiavellian or cynical. You just have to be a decent guy. And yeah. You will, people will return that and that rebuilding that trust between people that has been completely lost in America, that interpersonal trust is so important. Even if you don't politically agree with someone, if someone's a decent person and you have some disagreements here and there, you can back them up and you might be surprised. They'll back you up. And you know what? Half the time they won't back you up. You just got to, you know, shoot your shot and see what happens. And I can't tell you how many times, listen, I've been burned a million times. I've stretched my hand out to people and they've bitten it. However, you have to be impersonal about that and understand that there are also people that when you need a hand up, they'll give it to you. So it's totally worth it to be, you know, not a not completely agreeable. You have to have some principles, but also have an open mind and try and uh, see people as people as well, rather than political pieces on a chessboard. Well, I can give you an example of that. The, the boomer that I was talking to today about it, actually, he, he asked me, well, what about, is it, what about if uh, somebody who isn't white wants to, to join your thing? Can they join? I was like, I was like, well, no, they can't, but that doesn't mean like we're going to turn them away. It's like if they want to have like some kind of solidarity allyship with if, like, if we have a shared enemy, like I'm not going to like attack them or anything like that. Right. Like, and then like, I said the example, like, look, like in the past, white nationalists have worked with, have have tried to 
find some common ground black nationalists i'm not saying that that's what i'm trying to do but like that's how i look at it. like we have to have our own thing and we have to look out for ourselves but i'm not going to hate on somebody who is right you know they support us and like they just can't fundamentally join our thing. Yeah, but the only, like, the I, only want them, I want them to I want them to find their thing that that agrees with us on the things that matters. That's well, what I want to see. Here's the thing: uh, the uh, the only people that are just like completely adamant about that are going to be like people that are on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Okay. I, I don't know. Like, I, I always feel like I have to explain myself. I, I know, I know our like, audience gets it. At this point, you don't really have it. to explain. You know, if, if, if a Muslim guy is suing the U.S. government on an issue that is affecting us too, like say the no, the, the no fly list or the, 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 the ridiculous terrorist watches, I'm going to support that. I don't even care if he supports me. I'm going to support the precedent that it sets in court. Okay, I don't care if he's Muslim or not. I don't, I don't particularly even. I uh, have strong feelings against people for being Muslim. Yeah, I have strong feelings about mass immigration of people from Middle East and Africa. But if someone is a Muslim, I don't have particularly strong feelings about that. In fact, oftentimes they have many of the same enemies as as we do. So, uh, you know, my, 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 the, the, the Aryan thing to the Aryan thing to do is to build bridges. Mm-hmm. Building yeah. bridges is Aryan. Destroying them for no reason is Jewish. So just think yeah. it in those terms, okay? My, Building bridges my, is Aryan. And my my larger point, really, with the with this person I was talking to, and which worked, was that basically, look, we're we are doing our thing, but and there's going to be things in our thing you're not going to agree with. But like the the exceptions and examples you're bringing up, I don't have anything against them. But you know who the enemy is. You know who you dislike, and we dislike the same people. We're against the same thing. Like I support you, you support me. Like that doesn't matter. Like that we the, there's going to be a lot of disagreement. I, I don't even you know one, you know one good per- like you know I'm one, a good person. Mistake, you know I'm yeah. good standing what, here. What, what one mistake people make when 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 they criticize you know our views on this is they say, well, those people will never support you. And the answer to that is, I don't care. Oh, they're so wrong. They're so wrong. Well, they're so wrong. First of all, they're wrong. But the, the second thing is that I don't even care if they support me. Okay? If someone is fighting a mutual enemy, uh, I'm going to applaud that. I don't care what they think of me. Because I, I see politics in a very national socialist style way, which is that politics have to be impersonal. Okay, This isn't about our egos. It's yeah. not about our narcissism. And it's not about feeling good. It's about the fucking principle of it. And also the tactic and strategy of it. So, um, you know, again, there are good people, bad people, whatever. But the point is, like, yeah, not everyone is going to agree with you all the time. And if you take disagreement as a personal offense, you're going to make a lot of enemies needlessly. Okay, so that's just you how disagree it is. With me. Now, I, now I must destroy you. Yeah, that's a very Internet way of thinking. Okay, that's something that you can only do on the internet. People don't don't act that way in person in real life. Okay, that's not how people act. Because if, if you do act that way, well, you you have to be like a hermit living in a fucking barrel. Okay, because guess what? There's gonna be people that disagree with you. I don't understand the psychology because I like I actually enjoy free debate. That's in good faith. Okay, I don't like uh, bad faith arguments. I like good faith disagreement. It's Good to have that to some extent, okay? Because it keeps you sharp, it sharpens your rhetoric, and so on. And so, you know, I don't mind any of that. 
and I have no real people don't believe me when I say this. I don't really have hatred for anyone for for just purely immutable characteristics. Okay, I don't. I don't actually hate anyone for those reasons. Now I hate my oppressors, right? But that's another argument for another day. You know. So again, if you let yourself be consumed by hate rather than impersonal political thinking, some hate is good. Okay. There's some some things that like when you see those pigs uh, beating up that father whose daughter was raped. Yeah, you should hate them. You mm. should hate. And the and the, uh, bo- and the boomers that I talked to hated that. I mean, yes, that should hate that's them. Right. hatred that's is good. Radicalized, that's all radicalized. A lot of people I know who were. Of course, it will. That's It's a moral insult. It's a moral indignation. It's everything is wrong, in in one just one scene. So you should hate that. You should hate evil. Okay. Now, is, is the fact that most evil wears a yarmulke in this world my fault? No. <laughs> you know. I mean. It's, but you know all all half kidding aside like you know the the the, there has to be some nuance there and and there's a as as more and more people become addicted to the internet i notice that there's more and more nuance gets lost Mm -hmm. if you approach politics as a dissonance as a dissident without nuance and you're just out there to make enemies you will fucking lose and fail period Okay, that's it. If all you want to do is make enemies and polarize everyone against you, you have to polarize to some degree. But polarizing everyone that disagrees with you, when you are starting from scratch as an underdog, well, guess what? You're just going to get stomped out and everyone's going to cheer for you. So, for, for you to get stomped out. So, you have to be intelligent. That's all I'll say about it. Let's keep going. Uh, I don't know if you want to address this or not. It was only one library. The ballpoint pen thing was a mistake Robert Friesian made. Well, it was to some extent. The, the, the ball, not all of Anne Frank's diary was in ballpoint pen. His reference was to her father, from my understanding, her father altered her notebook in some parts, did corrections and so on in a ballpoint pen. So he, he, he took that and ran with it as a sort of sensationalistic attack on the diary. Okay, so um, yes. Now, is it still possible that Otto Frank wrote it. A Dutch court seems to think so. Um, was it the ballpoint pen? No, I don't know. Like, yes, that was probably sensationalistic, possibly a mistake. I don't know. But yeah, that kind of meme Holocaust revisionism is not conducive to actually confronting this uh, terrible blood libel, this conspiracy theory, this anti-white conspiracy theory. If you don't have your facts 100% straight, where someone can look it up online and they get the Google algorithm gamed Deborah Lipstadt uh, links that say and prove that it wasn't written in ballpoint pen, you will be discredited. And all your argument, they won't even look at your other arguments. So, yes, keep, keep that in mind. Always triple, quadruple, and quintuple check. Uh, any kind of meme you see on Telegram or Twitter or whatever, you know, because especially on things like this, because some of it is just morons, but other times they put out disinformation on purpose. Okay. Now I'm not saying that with the ballpoint pen stuff, but it does happen. So always, you know, make sure use news judgment or history judgment when touching on these things. 
Okay. And uh, James, uh, 30 library coins from the first world. Uh, James Fields was jailed for 419 years, which is his area code, apparently, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of weird. <laughs> like, I think that's the definition of coincidence right there. Like an actual, like an actual <laughs> coincidence. Like, it, <laughs> Wait, did Homer Simpson <laughs> point to it on a globe? Did Homer Simpson point to it on a globe? Ah, I bet you didn't think of that one. All right. Well, that's it we have for tonight. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I'm ready to get out of here if you guys are. Yeah, I have nothing to. I have nothing to plug. I'm, I'm in the middle of something big right now, so I can't. Okay. I, I got nothing going on. So, um, just play us out, Frank. Have a yep. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you.